Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 152 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty, and I still seem a little low. Hey, I'm Ryan. Uh, this is the Game of the Year episode, so it's our time to talk about RuneScape goals. <laughs> for 2023 <laughs> no no we're not gonna do that welcome to otaku brothers your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring rusty and ryan Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 152 of Otaku Brothers. It's goatee season, people. My name's Rusty, and I'm here with my forever co-host and brother-in-law, Ryan. Ryan, you ready to talk game of the year? I am definitely ready. It's it's always a good time where we can discuss kind of the entire year's worth of games. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. Me too, and I hope everyone else out there is staying warm and staying safe, because here in the Midwest... Ryan and I were actually planning on recording this episode two days ago. It is the day after Christmas. We were meant to record this on Christmas Eve, but uh, I think the 23rd or the 22nd, we got a ton of snow. It was raining for four or five hours before it dropped below freezing temperatures, so the roads were just uh, basically a skating rink, and we did not want to risk accident or injury, even though um, we have quite a few Patreon supporters that'll probably be pretty disappointed (laughs) with how late this episode is getting out the door, but We did not want to risk an accident, so we pushed the episode recording back a couple of days. But here we are. We are recording it. It's going to be an action-packed, very fun episode. Ryan and I always enjoy at the end of the year, looking back at the year that was, all the games that we played, all of the games that we completed, and curating our list and whittling it down to the very best, the top 10. And we hope all of you have done the same. And we hope that you are sitting down with a nice, warm beverage, kicking your feet up, maybe playing some good games, and ready to listen to the Otaku Brothers Game of the Year episode. And a couple things that we need to kind of preface this episode by saying before we get deep into the thick of it. So if you're new here, this is maybe your first time listening to Otaku Brothers. I think a lot of people tend to come around these parts when we do these types of episodes because it's fun to listen to see what everyone else's top 10 games of the year on or are. But I hope you stick around because Ryan and I have plenty of fun ideas going into the new year. And if you are new, we have plenty of episodes in the backlog for you to potentially check out. So consider doing that. But last year and the years prior, Ryan and I tend to encourage our listeners to write in with their uh, top 10 games of the year, some of the favorite games that they played. But a couple years back, we started a kind of a, a list of awards that are kind of unique to talk about. There's nothing too fancy, but... We have seven award categories this year, and we encourage the listeners to write in with their nominees, with their awards for those categories. And last year, we even incentivized listeners with a eShop gift card. And because of that, people really came out the woodwork to, you know, with their emails. I think we ended up getting like 17 emails or something like that last year. Yeah. And after Ryan and I spent, I don't know, the better part of two and a half hours, two hours and 45 minutes doing our episode. I'm like, all right, let's get to the emails. And uh, Ryan doesn't really read. He, he's actually, I don't think you've learned how to read yet. No, I, I'm pretty illiterate right now. So like even reading off my notes, I pff, 
it might as well be gibberish. It's like trying to read the tunic manual. It's like a different language. It's pretty rough. Like a foreign language. So I squeak by. um, So I'm the only one that tends to read things on this podcast, which makes for a really freaking long show when I'm reading 17 emails. And, you know, there are some (laughs) people out there that, you know, what's your favorite soundtrack of the year? And they just say, you know, Kingdom Hearts. And then there's some people that, you know, what's your favorite soundtrack of the year? And they kind of want to tell you your entire life story of why Kingdom Hearts is the favorite. Here's where I was from birth to where I met Kingdom Hearts. And here's what it means to me. Yeah, it's a it's a paragraph. I mean, we all love Yokoshima more, but I don't know if we need the, you know, the War and Peace novel to explain why. And uh, yeah, all of this to say that we're punting in separating our top 10 games of the year episode with a community special game of the year episode. So that'll go out the door either next week or two weeks from now, depending on when Ryan and I want to want to squeak that episode recording in. So stay tuned for that. If you have not submitted your email and want your voice to be heard for the Otaki Brothers Community Game of the Year special, you still have plenty of time, okay? Get in the Discord if you're not there. You'll see all the award categories. You'll see what you need to submit and where you need to submit it. And uh, it'll be a great time. I'm looking forward to getting through all of those emails. But First, as we always do, each and every time Ryan and I get behind the mics, we get to talk about our weeks, what's been going down, any relevant life updates we want to bring to the show. And then we are going to talk a little bit, kind of briefly, I think, mm-hmm. touch on the games that we've been playing recently. And then we'll take a nice little break, refill our coffees. We'll encourage the listeners to do the same. And we will get to our top 10 games of the year. I don't know about Ryan, but I brought the stats, the analytics. I put a couple Tableau dashboards together. It's going to be a really good time. So strap in, folks. I hate data, so I didn't get any of that. I'll just give you my top 10 and then I'll, I'll jump out of here. But OK, well, I'll we'll leave it to Rusty. And, yeah, the next, I'll give the next gen stats for all the all the listeners. But um, yeah, what's been going down recently for you, man? Uh, nothing too much. So my company does a shutdown over the Christmas to New Year's break. So it's kind of been... Besides end of the year budget type things, it's been pretty calm. Everyone kind of trying to get out of there a couple days early for vacation. Um, So I'm on a really nice holiday. I have like a week and a half off. So some good times to consume some new games. Um, Besides that, I've just been locked in my house. So like Rusty said, we've we've had a big snowstorm, I think, Thursday night. And besides that, like it's straight ice near my apartment for a couple days um negative 30 degrees my dog loves the snow like zoomies and just expends all of her energy but i mean that first day she's like eh maybe i should go inside with the uh the heat so i'm just trying to stay warm uh luckily no pipes burst or anything it's been pretty warm we're pretty lucky that I mean, I know, like, I think Cleveland and stuff had some heaters shut off, like, mm-hmm. just across the Midwest. But, yeah, overall, just keeping warm and going to continue enjoying my time off. Good stuff, man. Yeah, I did not take any time off this year for the holidays just because, uh, well, one, we do have Monday, the day after Christmas, off the 26th. So, good uh, good day to record a three-hour Otaku Brothers episode. <laughs> And I didn't take any time off for the rest of the year because I did want to roll over some vacation days because Laura and I are going to be doing some traveling next year. Uh, But things are really quiet around my team. Uh, I talked a little bit about it last episode, but um, I'm kind of on a technology rotational program with the company that I work for. So every month I kind of go to a different team and get upskilled and and learn a bunch of fun new things. And my first rotation started back in, I think, April, early May. That is wrapping up as of 1231. So 
it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for me to do a bunch of stuff here at the tail end of the year. I'm just kind of preparing myself and doing some trainings to kind of prepare myself for my next rotation, which I'm really, really pretty jazzed about. So uh, with all of that comes lots of downtime to play games, Mm -hmm. watch some movies and and hang out with uh, with Lauren. So it's been good times. And I think our dog, Scooby, is not as much a fan of the snow because he he's less meat on the bone. Yeah. Than your dog. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, just, that may be an understatement. <laughs> just a smidge. And so his poor little paws get a little chilly when he's out there in the snow. So he does his business and comes right back in. And uh, yeah, we've just been watching some Christmas movies. Question for you, actually. Yeah. So everyone loves, or you should love, if you if you don't love and you have any distaste for the Macaulay Culkin Home Alone movies, you probably should just turn this podcast off right now. Because yes. that's, just, that's just a sin. That's just not right. Um, we've seen those movies hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Lauren loves them. I love it. We watched those, of course, leading up to Christmas. But she had never seen Home Alone 3. Have you seen Home Alone 3? All I really remember is Home Alone 1, the the classic one. Um, I vaguely remember some parts of Home Alone 2. I, I feel like Home Alone 3 is kind of like simba's return two and a half or like pumba plus one and a half it's like a kingdom hearts game (laughs) first of all lion king 2 simba's pride is a freaking classic well i'm thinking one and a half like pumba timon like side story shit yeah one and a half can yeah scars like half brothers daughter Mm -hmm. son kovu is his name yeah kovu yeah him um i don't know refresh me what did i miss so Home Alone 3 is a little interesting. I don't know if you ever watched Max Keeble's Big Move. It was like a Nickelodeon um, Sounds familiar. direct-to-VHS type of movie. Um, but the kid in that, Max Keeble, he's the main kid in Home Alone 3. Okay. Um, and it's a John Hughes movie. I don't think John Williams returned to score the film. Uh, but there's some pretty decent music in the movie. But the same basic premise, obviously, you know, the kids at home, they don't go on vacation or anything like that. But the kid gets the chicken pox at the beginning of the movie. Okay. And he's a really smart kid. So he kind of hooks up like the uh, the microscope at the top of his attic. And he's kind of just checking in on the neighbors, seeing what's going down. What's really interesting about the movie, though, and it really, I don't know, it goes all, maybe it was inspired by Mission Impossible, like in the late 90s. Because what happens is he ends up accidentally, and I won't go into the finer details of it, getting a remote control car that has a computer chip with nuclear codes. So like very small soldier type thing. Yeah. 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 It very much is of the era in that sense. But it is kind of interesting that a very young Scarlett Johansson is in the movie. She's Mm, his older sister. Really? In in the movie. Um, I thought she was only in Marvel and then nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I've seen her in. She's in a couple other movies. But yeah, one of her first movies was uh, Home Alone 3. Very nice. You You can check all the Home Alone movies out on Disney+. Plus. There's actually like six of them. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like a Fast and the Furious type spin. Well, those are worthy of sequels, but I don't know about the, these. I, I don't know. I mean, I was pulling some real Tokyo Drift moves this this week, but yeah. yeah. Be careful driving out there. It's, uh, it's yeah, ice is no joke, it's dangerous. but I mean, you get style points for the family. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, but that's been about it. That's all that's been really going down for us recently. Just trying to stay warm. Um, eating lots of Christmas cookies, mm-hmm. which has been good. But, um, but yeah, that's about it, Ryan. I do want to know, though, while you've been locked in your, your house, is you've been squeezing any games in outside of RuneScape? Well, I did wrap up 
not this past week, but the the first week since we recorded our last episode, I did wrap up my 2022 goals for RuneScape. So I took a break from that mm. um, until year's end. And then, I mean, besides that, I was just, you were snooping through my freaking trophies this week. And you're like, hey, I know we're going to talk about some games this week, but it doesn't look like you finished Tunic. Mm-hmm. And I was like... I was lied to by one of my friends who played through it and said I had to collect all these pages to finish it. Um, but apparently that's not what I had to do. So I, I ended up beating Tunic for real. And um, and then I played some Stray. Mm, okay. I, I, for, I had to force myself originally. And we'll, we'll talk about it in games Game of the Year um, Top 10. But I, I just couldn't get into it. Um, I think the premise is interesting playing as a cat, but it didn't really like pull me in. Um, so I had to force myself like an hour or two into it. And then I, I kind of got fully invested. Got its hooks in you? Yeah. I, I fully got invested to my uh, cat that looked like Skittles, my my deceased cat. So mm-hmm. um, that was fun. And uh, besides that, just trying to wrap up some of these series that I'm watching. So I wrapped up Westworld um, for the most part. HBO... I, I had one episode left, and they pulled it off of HBO, even though it is the an HBO show. So that sucks. I need to find where to watch that last episode. I'm wrapping up The Expanse here on Wednesday. Um, so looking for some new shows to watch. So um, we'll see. I'm might look- I interest you in watching Lost? You can borrow my DVD. I actually have the first three seasons, so okay. I might be going through that um, as I grind out some games. Okay. You can yeah. never go wrong with Lost People. It's good stuff. I'll literally ship you out my DVDs, okay? <laughs> if I can get more people to watch Lost, that's always a victory in my book. Yeah, uh, yeah. for me this week, mostly just doing some cleanup, um, revisiting games that I played earlier in the year to kind of determine w- where is this really going to fit in in my top 10 games of the year? Um, a notable one being Horizon Forbidden West. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I was kind of mapping out my road to 100 Platinums, this was one I never got it in Zero Dawn. I uh, wasn't really planning to get it in Forbidden West, but um, coming away from the recent Game Awards stuff, there's the DLC coming yeah. later next spring. And I thought, you know what? Um, this, I, not to spoil my Game of the Year top 10 stuff, but like this is one of those games where like it could have been like top three or like it might not even make the list type of thing. Like I, just, yeah. I was very kind of torn of where it was going to sit in my top 10. So I went back, um, cleaned up the, the the Platinum, got all the trophies, and the thing I really like about Horizon Forbidden West, especially its trophy list, is that there's a lot of stuff you can do in this game, mm-hmm. like a ridiculous amount of stuff. Even when I got the platinum, there's all kinds of stats and analytics tied into the game. I think I was about 50% complete, 50, five, wow. z- five zero. Um, so plenty of stuff that I could still do, but a lot of the collectibles list, it's like, hey, there's eight of these in the game, collect four. Yeah, there's, I, I, you know, I there's, think six, the, there's 16 of these tribes scattered around. You have to take over eight. It's really nice because I my first platinum was zero dawn. And I think you had to 100 percent the map like you had 100 percent everything for that. So that that's much more reasonable for mm-hmm. a sequel yeah. for the platinum list. Yeah, but it was good. I mean, the music in the game, the world is obviously so beautiful to explore and kind of get lost in. And and, you know, one of my earlier complaints when we were playing it earlier in the year was I feel like traversal was kind of a pain because I didn't feel like, like I didn't know that you could call one of the machines that you've tamed to ride around. But yeah, once you do There's that no run button, you have to walk everywhere. It's yeah. Gosh, <laughs> what a pain. There's no fast travel. Uh, well, yeah, there's 
obviously I have complaints. We'll probably get to them later in the show, but yeah. um, I really did enjoy my time going back to it. It was quite a bit of fun. And uh, yeah, I popped that platinum. So Horizon Forbidden West, great follow-up to the first game. And I definitely encourage people to to play it, but more on that probably later. One of the other ones, so Horizon Forbidden West was my 94th platinum, mm-hmm. you know, inching closer to 100. I have a couple that are must-haves, but there's still some wiggle room of, of what I wanted to squeak in there for the 100 plats. And when I first got my PlayStation 4, some of the first games I played were um, Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor. Yep. We've already talked about how I'm kind of at a difficult place to get the platinum for that first game. And the other couple of games that I've got were the Dishonored games. Mm-hmm. Um, having gotten those Platinums, I've thought about it. The other ones that I absolutely love, still waiting on the third game, the Wolfenstein games. Yeah. Uh, Machine Games, Bethesda. Um, terrific. So good. Fantastic. Really over-the-top stories. Some of the best first-person shooters I- I've ever played. I mean, they are so satisfying to play. The, 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 the just the gameplay overall just feels so buttery smooth and good. And so I figured let's let's check out the Wolfenstein New Order, which is the first game and kind of this rebooting of of the series. And uh, surprisingly, not too bad. Um, over the course of the game, there are these perks that you unlock in a very Call of Duty like fashion. So yeah. kill three people with a grenade at the same time or something like that mm-hmm. pops a trophy and it also unlocks a skill kill 50 people with a machine gun you, you pop a trophy you unlock the next machine like three gun round burst or something. yeah something like that very call of duty like and there's like four or five different tiers you know some of them are related to explosives some of them are related to stealth some of them are related to like sidearm pistol type stuff and you unlock all those you basically have 60 percent of the trophy list wow another 20 percent is just beating the game and a select few are difficulty related. Mm. Now, the Wolfenstein games, even on the easiest difficulty, are punishing. Yeah. Really freaking hard, especially um, the New Colossus, the second one. But New Order is also no joke. And I was kind of researching the Platinum. Thankfully, even if you beat the game on the easiest difficulty, you go to Chapter Select and you go to the final level. You only have to beat the final level on the hardest difficulty. That's really nice. And it considers that you beat the whole game on the hardest difficulty, which is really nice because, again, these games are punishing. But I'll tell you what, that final level was no joke. That was still hella hard. Mm-hmm. And I won't go into the details of what the final level is like, but there is one sequence that's very reminiscent of the first Matrix movie when Neo and Trinity go into that office building and they have like 45 guns attached to them. And they're just like, <laughs> they set off the uh, metal detector and you're like, oh shit. All yeah. Right. It, yeah. Shit's about to go down. Um, it's kind of like that, but there's also just these big mechanical guys and giant weapon mech suits that are really difficult to take out. And then the final boss is also just, oh my goodness, ridiculous, but persevered, got through it, was pretty patient. And uh, I mean, it was very much like playing Uncharted on crushing difficulty, mm-hmm. trial and error, you know? Yeah relatively forgiving checkpoint system in Wolfenstein. So it didn't make it um, too unbearable. So pop that. So now I'm at 95, still kind of figuring out what the, what the remainder of the road to 100 looks like. But one thing that I did start playing, I think a couple weeks ago, I may have briefly talked about it on the last episode, but I can't really recall. And that's the last of us remake. Very nice. A lot of people talked about this, not really being um, something that we needed because we already had, 
one, The Last of Us, the original came out back in like, what, 2013. The remaster for PS4 came out in 2014. And, you know, this remake came out this year. Um, not really in need of a, a graphical overhaul yeah. necessarily. But I'll tell you what, looks pretty dang impressive. It, d- it does. Uh, so I slept over last night and I was watching you try to platinum the game or go through it. And I forgot how, well, one, it's gorgeous. And then two, how good the dialogue was. So yeah. I ended up watching this back in 2013. So when I played the second one, it wasn't as fresh. So some of those payoffs that would have happened for me in the second one um, didn't happen as much as, say, you who had played it more recently. But like some of those dialogues, I was just like, it perked up. I perked up for like, I don't want to spoil anything, but my ears perked. I was like, oh, shit, that pays off this moment in number two. And Mm -hmm. it's definitely gives me more appreciation for the first one. For sure. Well, I mean, I kind of liken it too. I mean, obviously different teams, Naughty Dog, Santa Monica Studios, but very much like God of War Ragnarok. You know, mm-hmm. if you just want to beeline the story, you can do that. But there's all these optional conversations that really help to kind of build the characters, the relationships. Yeah, flesh out the world, um, especially for someone like just the dynamic of Joel and Ellie. Ellie was born into this pandemic of a world. Mm-hmm. She never knew any different. Obviously, Joel, 20 years prior, there's a whole there's a whole lot we can go into with the last of a story we're not going to but he had lit he knew the the world before yeah and so one of the moments last night that you kind of saw you're with these other two characters again i feel like i could go into details here i know people haven't played the original last of us yet but you run into an ice cream truck mm-hmm. and she's like what, what what are all these like little pictures of ice cream on this truck go, you know for and and joel said well you know back in the day there was this truck that played creepy music and all these little kids <laughs> would run out and buy ice cream from the ice cream man. And she's like, no, you guys lived in a weird, really weird world, <laughs> you know? Uh, but yeah, there's all kinds of really yeah. great dialogue and stuff that is otherwise pretty missable if you really don't kind of run around and, and look through um, all the different houses and across the streets and stuff like that. But really enjoying my time with Last of Us Remake. This is my third time going through the story. And I'm particularly enjoying it because this is Lauren's first time experiencing the story. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, before we watch the show, we have to play through the game. And uh, as far as I know, the the last of a show is going to air on HBO in like mid January. So we have a couple of weeks before um, that comes out. And we're about 40, 45, 50 percent through the story at this point. Uh, No spoilers, but we've just left Joel's brother. And we're at the university. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're familiar with Last of Us, you probably know exactly where we're at. But really enjoying it. And uh, yeah, on the subject of trophies, thank goodness Naughty Dog cleaned up the trophy list for this one. It's very much complete the game and um, collect, the stuff. collect the stuff. So um, that's about it. I'm curious, Ryan, have you thought much about as we kind of head into this new year? I know... We'll eventually do our top 10 most anticipated of 2023. We'll talk about our gaming goals going into the new year. But is there anything that you're like really have lined up? You're looking forward to play playing going into the next year? Uh, I have a few trilogies I have to go through. Um, Bioshock is one of the big ones. Oh, yeah. um, That I need to go through. I know you've been bugging me for freaking since we started this podcast. I mean, Uh, for good reason. Yeah. I mean, anyone that's played Bioshock would agree that that was just such a a significant game to that generation. I mean, you look at generation defining games, 
Mass Effect is a big one. Mass Effect yeah. 2 probably is what people would point to. The Last of Us, Skyrim, Bioshock, Journey. I mean, these games that are just generate The Witcher 3, Bloodborne, yeah. Uncharted 4, like or Uncharted 2 maybe. Like, these are generation-defining games, and Bioshock is a big one. Yeah, so I... So my experience with Bioshock is I think I've made it halfway through uh, the first one, or I remember getting on like a train to go down somewhere within the environment. It was really interesting. I liked, was it the big daddies or something Mm -hmm. like that? And Mm -hmm. deciding whether you want to like gut a girl or not to get her powers. Um, I had a good time. I'm not good with horror games. Yeah. So this is kind of some of that feel. It's not to the extent of like a last of us. So I, I think I can definitely play through this fine um and then the combat's really fun i, oh, I like so the good. idea of just syringing yourself and getting electricity you know mm-hmm. the um, plasmids yeah and then all of so i'll play through those this year and then mass effect mm-hmm. um so there's the i think the legendary edition is the december one of the three december games and i downloaded that one it, it's just the commitment and starting that so i'll probably once we hit january commit to that but Mm -hmm. i'll phase out the end of this year just playing some comfort food games yeah i'm looking forward to talk about that i mean bioshock one and infinite in particular i actually enjoyed bioshock 2 quite a bit it's kind of the black sheep of the series i don't know if kevin levine was overseeing the development it's kind of like the dark souls 2 of the series yeah where like the plot of dark souls 1 and 3 really connect but 2 is kind of its own kind of side story yeah because miyazaki kind of stepped aside for that one so um, but I, yeah, personally really love Bioshock 2. Still my favorite collector's edition that I've ever gotten. I uh, still have it here over here in the closet. It came with like a vinyl record of the soundtrack, a giant art book, um, some fun little posters and stuff. But yeah, Bioshock's great because you talk about stuff littered around the world that you could totally um, bypass if you're mm-hmm. just running and gunning through the game. Yeah. So much hidden lore and just propaganda and stuff hidden around. It's a lot to take in, but really good. Yeah, I'm excited. So, well, good stuff. Yeah, for me, uh, I'm I'm still kind of arguing and having this battle internally with myself if I want Kingdom Hearts to be my 100th platinum. I, I vote that it should be. Yeah, but that's one of one. You, yeah, you should. I'm, you, I'm, you have to. I'm pretty. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm certainly. I'm going to peer pressure the shit out of you until you actually do it. And that's fair. And yeah. I'm, I'm certainly leaning more towards. Um, it has to be. Yeah. Um, because like if I was at 99 right now, I'd probably be like, I don't know, but I have some wiggle room. I can yeah. still pop some plats leading up to that. And Chrono Link 91. He's in our discord. Yeah. Very good friend of the show. Just taunting you. He was kind of, <laughs> I would say, encouraging me in the discord recently. of like, you got this because he's been going off on the Kingdom Heart Platinum Trophy unlocks recently. Um, I can only aspire to be as cool as him someday. I know. Can't we all? But um, but yeah, so for me, probably, you know, in the background, going to be playing Kingdom Hearts. Um, I really did want to start a new JRPG, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about going back to Dragon Quest XI. It's uh, a good it's one. Just a beast of a game, though. It is. I mean, I think Lorne made it harder than it had to be because she, like, lost some orb and then just ran around for 20 hours. Um I beat, so it's broken into thirds, and they're very distinct thirds, Um, but the final third is kind of like a post-game third, Mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily required. It's kind of like true ending type things, and I only did the first two, and it took me about 60 hours, 
So as far as JRPGs go, it's not the biggest. It's not like a Xenoblade where it's like 200 hour investment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I vote for that one. Yeah, I'm thinking about it, but Assassin's Creed is looking at me over there. And I'm just, you know. <laughs> Which ones do you freaking have left? You blend of all of them at this point. No, I, I've surprisingly got a crap ton of Assassin's Creed games to still get through. I how? Um, how you played through like what eight or nine this year? We'll talk about that at the back end of the show. Don't worry about it. But um, we don't want to spoil anything for the listeners. Okay, he hasn't played any Assassin's Creed. I was lying. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I've surprisingly got a, a lot more Assassin's Creed in my future, and I could not be more excited about it, people. <laughs> and I just hope that all of you listeners, I hope your ears are as excited as I am to play all the Assassin's Because we got a lot more Assassin's Creed to talk about going into 2023. Great. I think your Assassin's Creed is turning into my RuneScape <laughs> or my Minecraft. Well, I think the difference with that is that I still kind of, I still talk about it in layman's terms. You start bringing all these crazy acronyms into things and start going into the RuneScape lore and you lose people. I, I think that's why people are here, though, for a deep dive into the underbelly of RuneScape. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, the deeper mechanics that I definitely don't know. <laughs> There's got to be someone out Let's there. Let's talk about tick manipulation right now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> is that a thing? It is, yeah. Three ticking uh, granite or whatever for fast mining XP, mm. which is not what I want to do. Yeah, well, we'll probably get into that more when Ryan starts talking about the stats and how many hours he put in a RuneScape mm -hmm. here a little shortly. But um, that's all I've got for games played. Looking forward to once I get this episode out the door, um, I guess I'll do one quick PSA for my YouTube channel. If you go there, you can kind of already see that I've started to rebrand it. I won't go into the details. Um, I think it's, you know, maybe I'll just do this here. I'll do a little do tease it. here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what's really nice about YouTube now is that you can have a handle, but also you can change the the channel name um to be something different than your handle so yeah. obviously to this point i was ari lewis 2011 uh for those that either didn't know i have a youtube channel or didn't know where the name came from it's really not clever it's nothing special i literally just created a youtube channel so that i could comment on other people's videos back in the day mm -hmm. um i think i created my channel when i was a junior in high school i was going to be graduating high school in 2011 re is just my first and middle initial lewis is my last name that's really it that's all there is to it and I thought a lot about, you know, going into 2023, and I've been thinking about this a lot um, earlier this year, but this year was just a crazy year for Lauren and I. Yeah, so no I didn't kidding. put out as much stuff on my YouTube channel as I wanted or anticipated. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about like, what does a rebrand look like? Should I change my name? Should I keep it? And I think nowadays, like internet handles are kind of just overrated, mm -hmm. you know? And so I yeah. didn't... I didn't spin the wheels too much, but I still wanted it to be a familiar name for people mm -hmm. that are longtime subscribers of the channel. Because anytime I put up a video, one, at least one person will comment and say, Rusty, been a subscriber for eight years or whatever. It's, it's nice to see one of your videos stroll through my, my sub box type mm -hmm. of thing. And so what I've done is the channel name is just Rusty Lewis, right? Yeah. Just my name, um, which I think is just appropriate makes sense we're adults we don't need like kingdom hearts boy with a an i <laughs> b o i <laughs> yeah kingdom hearts boy like 339 or some bullshit yeah. um but yeah so i, I it's, it's just rusty lewis and then the handle is re louis so continuing with the re lewis kind of naming 
convention. It's R-E-Louie, and Louie is meant to be a play on Banjo-Kazooie. And so like Lauren it. is hard at work on a new background for me. Um, she actually does all my thumbnails and stuff like that. But um, I thought it was kind of fun, kind of cute, if you will. And uh, again, retains the R.A. Lewis 2011 naming convention, but kind of carves a new path for the future. No, I like it. It's a good rebrand for sure. So hopefully everyone is looking forward to those R.A. Lewis 2011 or Re-Louis videos going into 2023. Have a lot of ideas, very 3D platformer focused, a um, lot of lists that I want to put out there uh, when it comes to some hidden gems, both on current gen and stuff on the PS1 and N64 that I think um, well, 3D platformer fans will look forward to. Mm-hmm. I don't know about anyone else, but um, with that said, going back to the PSA that I kind of alluded to, I am going to be recording my top 10 games of the year episode or video for my YouTube channel here later this week. That'll release on Christmas Eve. That's kind of become uh, an annual tradition for me. And this year, I'm actually going to be recording some gameplay footage. Oh, very nice. Not for all games. I don't think people need to see gameplay of... Well, I was about to mention games in my top 10. I stopped myself. <laughs> um, there are certain games that I think people just by name alone are very familiar with. They don't need to see gameplay, but there are other games, as I will get into here in the back half of the show, that I just don't think words do justice. It's worth seeing gameplay for those. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to putting that together later this week and editing it together. And I'm also just looking forward to sitting back and playing some great games as we kind of head into the new year. Yeah. But with all that being said, Ryan, that's all of our games played recently. We got some life updates. It's snowy. It's cold here. And I think I need to refill my coffee. Me too. So Me too. why don't you all do the same? We're going to queue up some music here and we'll be back real soon to talk about our top 10 games of 2022. Let's do it. doing it game of the year discussion is upon us and one thing i actually did not mention at the top of the show that i think is worth mentioning now that we're really in the thick of things Mm -hmm. is that this year as i've done the past couple of years i think dating back to 2020 that was the first time um, i ended up editing this thing together one this is our fifth year doing our top 10 games of the year episode holy crap which is a wild streak yeah Half a decade worth of games of the year. Don't say it like that. That just makes me feel a lot. Five years of game of the year. <laughs> that just makes me feel a little older than yeah. I uh, than I want to feel. Um, but one of the things I One twentieth of a century. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Numbers and stuff. No, that's not right. But we'll, 
we'll go with it. Yeah. If you say it with confidence. Yeah, exactly. Confidence is key. Anything sounds true. Um, but I also, back in 2020, started editing together a medley mm-hmm. of the year's best music. And so I did that again this year. And 23 songs I edited together, as I've done in previous years, you kind of start out slow. You have a subtle buildup. It kind of crescendos in the middle with some really freaking slapping tunes. And then it kind of starts to fade back down. But I think the final song caps it off really well. And uh, I cannot wait for the people to listen to this 2022 slapping OST medley. A celebration of all of the music that has come out in some of the best video games over the course of the year. Because we did not get a tremendous number of submissions and emails uh, when I started to sit down and edit it, honestly, I kind of preferred it that way Mm -hmm. because it really required me to do my research, look at some of the best games that came out in 2020, go into their soundtracks on YouTube, listen, try and find the gems, but also trying to organize these 23 songs in a way that feels like just you're just going on a slap and OST experience. Yeah, we listened to it before we started recording the episode as we were waking up with our coffee, and it, it was, I'm awake now. Do you think it it's was gonna, a great time. Do you think it's going to live up to people's expectations? I think it will, okay. for sure, or surpass. Hopefully it yeah. exceeds, but we will fade out today's episode with a 40-minute, four-zero-minute medley of the best tunes celebrating the year in some of the best games, and 23 songs are represented. And What I would encourage everyone to do, as I will remind you at the end of the episode as well, get a pen and paper and get it out and see if as the songs are playing, you can name not only the game it's from, song title might be a stretch, but at least the game it's from. And uh, yeah, score yourself. See how many you can get. 23 songs. And uh, after the episode's been out for a couple of days, I'll post the actual track list out there on the Discord. So should be really good times. And I'm looking forward to all of you hearing that medley but ryan we got to continue to delay our top 10 games of the year because the first thing we got to do i know there's probably only a select few out there that want to hear this stuff we got to get to some stats yes from 2022 the games that we've played and uh, allow you to kind of tee things up here what what are some of the stats for your games played over the course of the year so i played 19 games um and of those 19 games 12 of those are new to me that i've never played before so okay. you you have those like Spider-Mans, you have the Uncharted that I've played before that are in that total of 19, but of that 12 are new. Okay. Um, and then for my top 10, my stipulation for this year is I'm not going to pick like a Spider-Man to be in my top 10 because it's from previous years, but to pick from the top 10 would be only from those 12 new games to me. Okay. Makes sense. Um, as far as genres played, no surprise. RPGs were my main. Um, so out of the 19, seven were RPGs. And how I kind of classified RPGs um, would be like the God of Wars, the Horizons, the Elden Rings. Um, five of which are, or five new ones are action. Um, and how I classified action, that would be like the Spider-Man's, the Uncharted. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I classify those as action. And then I have action RPGs which would be like the tunics or the death stores. So it's okay. a kind of a combination, but not full-fledged of either. Yeah. Um, and then I had two indies, two platformers, and then obviously one MMORPG. Mm. Yes. Um, as far as 
game or years released for those games, a majority actually were from 2022. So okay. I had six games from this year that I played. Um, 2021, I had two, and then 2018, I actually had three. Okay. Um, and then getting into the f- time played. Oh boy. Strap so, in, people. Ryan's <laughs> about to let you know how many hours he spent playing RuneScape in 2022. And maybe just refresh the memory of the listeners. How many hours did you spend playing RuneScape in 2021? I'll get there. Okay. I'll get there. So okay. last year, my total hours played was 1579. Okay. Uh, I can't. I think you were over 1,000 plus as well. I was just under 500, actually. Really? Cool. He, he doesn't play any games with his like 75 beats or whatever the hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'll go through um, kind of the top five games. Uh, game or total time played for games okay so like going least to number one sure the most. um so my number five was horizon forbidden west okay you want to guess how many hours you probably spent about 65 hours in this okay actually flip those numbers around 56, 56. okay um so that that's kind of the baseline monster hunter world okay so we're going up so the yeah, numbers so gonna increase this will be increased you probably put about 70 hours in this game. Actually, 63. And this is mainly just trophy hunting, trying to go for the plat. Okay. Um, I think I have seven or six or so uh, trophies left. Yeah. Um, this is a big jump. So number three is Elden Ring. 130. 193. Holy shit. And this on my PSN kind of review of the year is my number one. Okay. Um, so total hours played on PlayStation was 698, with Elden Ring being number one. Wow. Uh, my number two is Minecraft. Do you want to guess how many hours there? So if Elden Ring was about 190. And this is across four different worlds. Um, there was the update from 1.8 to 1.9, which was kind of a big change to really how they did all the caving systems. So I ended up redoing some of those older worlds to get all of that um environmental change i mean it had to look i mean 1.8 is just old news it had to look i like i know i mean just kick it to the curb yeah. so um minecraft i'm gonna say 320 296 dang so this is over i i combined all of my days played and days in Minecraft are 20 minutes, and that's across both 10 minutes for the day and 10 minutes for the night. Um, in my main world that I'm playing now is 104 days, and that's a majority full 20 minute days. But if you can, if you sleep, you reset the day. So it's kind of hard to fully gauge. Um, but total days played for the worlds are um, 890 days. Oh my goodness! Um, and then my number one. It's a hard, hard one to guess. Hmm, I wonder what the game is. It's got to be RuneScape. And last year was 1139. So 1,139 hours. And my goal for this year was to play less RuneScape. <laughs> so so <laughs> let's see if I've achieved that. Where do you, you have a 50-50 chance. Do you think I was better or worse? I think you were definitely better. Okay, cool. Um, you have you have hope. <laughs> yeah, I, I would Is it believe. False hope. We'll see. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna say 927 hours. You're actually pretty close. Uh, 910 hours. Wow. 
<laughs> so overall, I had 910 hours in RuneScape, uh, 698 hours in PlayStation, and 296 hours in Minecraft. I can't really think of any other places that I've really played games. I played a lot of uh, Solitaire but I, I don't keep track of how many Xbox. hours do you think you slept this year? I think that's maybe the more interesting statistic here. That's not a question. I, I, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> uh, probably six hours a night would probably be my average. Okay. Um, yeah, but <laughs> gaming wise, which is the <laughs> important stat opposed to sleep, who needs that is uh, 1904. So I've, I've added about going from, about 1,600 to... I've added about 300 hours. Damn. That's crazy. Um, for RuneScape, though, I went from 599s last year to 799s this year. Wow. Who was the real MVP? Ryan of 2022, yeah. baby. Hell yeah. Crushing it. <laughs> Goals and shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are all my stats. Um, I, I think hours are always the most fun. Yeah. Um, well, I've got a couple stats here for myself. So... Total games beaten. Did you see the stat? Did you look at the number? No, I didn't. I, I'm guessing it's around like 50. So what do you think the exact number of total games beaten in 2022? Let me give you some history while you're thinking about it. Okay. So last year I beat 50 games. In 2020, I beat 40. In 2019, I only beat 26. <laughs> and then in 2018, I beat 45. How many do you think I beat this year? Wow, that's a rookie numbers then. 20 something and going from bookend of 40s yeah, i don't really know what was going on i may have still been studying for the cpa in 2019 that's a bullshit excuse <laughs> you should have at least got 10 more games <laughs> um I, I i would say you you didn't i mean besides house obligation i i would say it's in the 40s then because you had a lot of house stuff going on and that that actually could have driven more comfort food games so it, it's a hard toss-up yeah. I'll go with 50. Just keep the same as last year. 44. Okay. 44 games. So, I mean, um, probably you add all those numbers together. 26 will kind of bring the average down quite a bit. But I would say I'd average around high 30s, low 40s um, the past couple of years. That's, so I mean, that's a hell of a lot of games. 44. One of my goals going into 2022 was placed less PlayStation stuff, right? I wanted to be a game on five different consoles. Mm -hmm. I technically accomplished that goal, but it's still very PlayStation heavy. Yeah. So PS4 and PS5, I consider basically one. Yeah. 38 games. Okay. PS3, one game. Looking at you, Magus. <laughs> <laughs> then such a ridiculous name. Switch, we beat two. Xbox One Series X, Xbox Series 2, and Xbox Family. <laughs> we beat two games. What did you play on Switch? I can't spoil that. Okay. I, I don't remember you playing a Switch game. Yeah. Oh, I okay. Never mind. And then the N64, we popped one beat. So technically, I beat five games <laughs> on five different consoles. Very nice. Yeah. Um, most or total hours played. How many hours do you think I last year? I think it was just shy of five hundred. Maybe it was just over five hundred. I can't remember. Yeah. The thing is. You don't have like the buffer of like nine, uh, like a thousand hours in like a game that isn't. Con I want to say you're at least a thousand because for you platinum a shit ton of games this year. Yeah. So you're, you're spending on average probably more time per game than you were in the 50 games you beat last year. I want to say at least a thousand. 
So unfortunately, the only stat I have is the hours played for the games I beat. So of the 44 games I beat, it took me this number of hours to beat all of those games, right? Because I didn't go through, like there was a, a tons of games that I started this year, maybe played for a couple hours. Maybe I played them for dozens of hours. Mm-hmm. And because they're not on my beat sheet, yeah, I wasn't tracking how many hours I played. That's just too much to keep track of, right? Because okay. that's like 150 games. If I had to guess. Because like Dragon Quest Builders, is that not on your list? That's you not because I didn't beat it. So it's not on my okay. list. I put probably 30 to 40 hours into that. Okay. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I put 60 hours into that. I didn't beat it this year. I didn't beat Valhalla. That's 120 hours right there. Right. So yeah, that's hard. I'm still going. Uh, let's let's go between the two. 750 for the games I beat. Yeah. Of the 44 games I beat, it took me 470 hours. That's efficient. And that's a rough yeah. estimate, right? I mean, I'm yeah. Not- but if you're not having the base game and you're only going for platinums and it doesn't count, that would make more sense. Now. <laughs> Over the 470 hours, 250 of those were Assassin's Creed games. I was, I was gonna get like I was gonna give you a low ball of like 150, but two that's ridiculous. Yeah, so <laughs> I finished Origins earlier this year in January. That was um about 60. Mm-hmm. Played about 60 hours of Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Finished Syndicate, that took me about 60. Finished AC2, that was about 35. And then grinding out Valhalla, that's another 50 to 60 hours. So That's so much Assassin's Creed. Dude, and it was not enough, let me tell you. <laughs> it was not enough. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the hours played. Stats. Genre, I only have one little tidbit here. I only beat eight platformers this year. How many do you think I beat last year? Again, of the 50 games I beat last year, how many of them do you think were platformers? Again, I beat 44 games this year. Eight of those. If I remember, platforms. it was less than what I guessed. And I think I guessed 25 and it was like around 17, maybe 18, 18, 18 yeah. last year, eight this year. So, I mean, interesting, you know, I look at the year in review and obviously we're not getting in the top 10 just yet. Brief, you mentioned it. I mean, literally for a string of like five or six episodes, all I was talking about was the homeownership woes that Lauren and I were going through. I'm not going to beat the dead raccoon here um of issues <laughs> that we had with our house but um we had a just a we were riddled with problems this year with our house really tough year and because of that a lot of comfort food stuff but what what i'm surprised about is given the year we had i did not play as many 3d platformers as i thought i would have yeah i mean are you running out of 3d platformers or you're just you're diving into assassin's creed and that kind of I think it's both. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely was escaping to the Assassin's Creed worlds. And there were not, I mean, there's just not as many 3D platformers that I haven't played yet. But what I'm yeah. surprised about is I didn't go back to some of the older ones that I was very familiar with. Yeah. Either. So a um, little interesting tidbit there. How many platinum trophies do you think I got this year? God, too many. <laughs> 20. That seems really freaking high, though. Oh, we'll go with 20. You're going to go 20? Yeah. 31. (laughs) That's stupid. That's so stupid. Yeah. So out of two-thirds or three-fourths of the games you've beaten, you platinumed. I mean, that doesn't technically add up because if you beat the base game, it doesn't count as the... But, like, in theory, that's 
close to the stat. Yeah, the, you hit the nail on the head. Too many. Is, yeah, is, yeah, too many. So my 2023 goal is not only to play a lot less PlayStation, um, but Kingdom Hearts is going to be my, my 100th platinum yeah. and end of story. And so that's going to... Within the last 20 minutes, he's gone from like on the edge of it being... It has to be. 100 to like definitively. Has to be. That has to be one 100th, even if it takes me... Um, into 2024 i don't freaking care we're not popping 100 platinum unless it's kingdom hearts i I think it said 130 hours is the estimated time for platinum yeah so we we got this we got this um you want to know how many platinums i did this year dude you were hard at work at least three one tenth of what you freaking got three (laughs) and you got 31 well you know but you also spent like three thousand hours playing fucking runescape so (laughs) And if capes were a platinum, I'd be the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, 31 plats and uh, that rounds out my stats. Very nice. But before we get into the top 10, we keep kind of kicking this can down the road here. Do you have any honorable mention games outside of your top 10? Uh, I do. And it's mainly some of the platinums that I got. So I ended up going back to Spider-Man, the original, and getting that platinum. And that game is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, it, they just Insomniac confirmed that Spider-Man 2 is coming in the fall of this is it? next year. Yeah. Um, I also got really close to platinuming Miles Morales as well. I went on a Spider-Man kick. So I'm one trophy away from the platinum. On okay, that. you're still one trophy away there. And it's the 100 hit combo. Mm-hmm. And I just, it doesn't sound fun. So I'm just not going to do it. I'll but, do it for you. Hey, if you want to log into my shit and do it for me, I'm all fine with that. Yeah. I think you just have to go into one of those like combat challenges and do it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, Spider-Man, it's it's a great time. It holds up super well. It's not a terrible. I mean, it's with all of the crime kind of challenges, it takes a while, but it's just super satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably my favorite honorable mention is Sekiro. Mm. And this one's kind of controversial because it's a difficult game. It kind of split the Dark Souls community, whether they liked it or not. But the my coworker ended up going for this and saying he was going to platinum it. I couldn't let that happen before me, even though I failed and did. But I, I think this has quickly become probably some of my favorite combat in the entire series. Mm. Like It's just... Once it clicks, it's almost like a dance. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, I, I love this game. It, hey, it's I mean, great. I don't think there are any casual Sekiro fans. You're either hardcore or you hate it. Yeah, I mean, you, you just kind of got to go balls deep mm-hmm. if you're playing this game. Um, so the hardest boss in the game is kind of the extended ending. There's two different paths you can take. There's a decision maybe two thirds the way through the game and it's, you either fight the final boss there in the short ending or you go through the full long ending. And the long ending is the hardest final boss in the game. And you play through it a few times. It's four phases, super difficult. And I think you have 10 or 12 flasks by the end. And like the first time you go through it, you're like, holy crap, I'm phase one dead. By the time I beat the final boss, I use two flasks out of my 12 like it the dance and the back and forth and just the parry mechanic is just so crisp Mm. it's fantastic um 
I encourage, I know I'm not going to get anyone <laughs> encourage them, encouraging them to play Sekiro, but if yeah, it's just play the game, yeah, <laughs> it, it's great. I can't, I had so much fun. I, I wish I could experience this again for the first time. Um, but yeah. Hey man, that's, I'm glad you liked it. It's not really for me, but I'm glad it really hit with you and, and Nate. Maybe they'll go back and do Sekiro 2 someday. I'd love that. Um, the way it ends, there's, I think, four different endings, and there's kind of similar to Bloodborne, they could. Um, Sekiro is more of a story-based game, and they end it kind of sending you off, but um, yeah, I'd, be, I'd love another game similar to it. Okay, good stuff. Uh, those are only, only yeah. Those are my three honorable, honorable mentions. mentions. Yeah, so my three first one here, a game I was looking forward to. I think we found out about as part of a Nintendo Direct, but it also came to other uh, current generation platforms as well. And that was Pac Man World Repack. Mm, yeah. Really fun kind of Mario 3D World type of 3D platformer. Very you know of the era. I mean, this is a remaster of I believe a GameCube, Xbox, PS2 game. I never played the original Pac-Man World game on the PlayStation 1, but this is a beautiful remaster. Looks really nice. It's just the cozy 3D platforming you'd expect um, from that era of 3D platformers and didn't do enough to kind of sneak into the top 10 um, because there were just other ones that I think that were more deserving of a spot in my top 10, but really fun. It debuted at $30. It's probably you can get it for like 20 now on switch xbox or playstation highly recommended it's just it's just a comfy cozy 3d platformer very nice um and you're pretty p- close to the platinum on that one right there's two trophies away yeah there was one of them that was like a russian roulette at the end of the level you have this little slot machine and you needed these three particular icons to line up i never got it in the base game i didn't care enough to go back and get it um, and grind that out and then there's one where you have to basically get a really high score in the original pac-man game so um when you beat the game or when you get far enough in Pac-Man World Repack, you unlock a classic Pac-Man arcade machine in the overall hub world. And you can access that at any time. And I can't remember what the actual trophy was, but you have to get some kind of a high score in the original Pac-Man game. I never even tried it. I just didn't even want to try and frustrate myself. Yeah. Um. But, but yeah, I just, I'm okay leaving that one unfinished. Not that big of a deal. That's fair. So... Um, next one, speaking of platinum trophies, I never went back to, uh, stray. Okay. This is one that when we saw it at some type of PlayStation conference a couple years back, um, looked interesting, loved the cyberpunk type of world they were going for here. Incredible soundtrack. You might possibly hear a song represented in the 2022 slap and OST medley. Um, I know I was hard on this game the past couple of weeks leading up to the game awards, um, that was primarily because when I think of game of the year and I think of something like Tunic um, versus Stray, I just felt like Tunic was more deserving of that spot. But I still really enjoyed my time with Stray. Um, I didn't think it overstayed its welcome. It, it, to me, it was that perfect length. Um, they captured the cat physics physics perfectly. And there's just so much interesting lore as you're trying to navigate this world, talk to these um, these robots, these NPCs, and trying to make sense of really what's going on there mm-hmm. and how everything kind of concludes at the climax of the story. Um, I didn't cry, but I got a little bit of emotional. It's it, There's definitely a lot going on there, and it, it is much more than just a cat simulator. So uh, if you have PlayStation Plus, 
Um, you can play it there for free, but I also think this is one worth playing or paying for. It's 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 a good time. Yeah, for sure. So um, that's number two on my honorable mentions list. And then finally, did not beat this game, but it literally took over my life for about two weeks, and that's Dragon Quest Builders 2. Yeah. Um, I haven't played an Animal Crossing like since 2020, and in a similar fashion, you kind of just escape to this world. All you care about is your crops, making your town look perfect. And I've also never been a Minecraft fan. And Dragon Quest Builders really kind of um, got me into that whole gameplay loop in a way that I didn't really think was possible. And I was really enjoying it. And unfortunately, in Dragon Quest Builders, the second game is the one I was playing. Uh, you move to different islands. So once you build up your town in one place, you go to the next. And just kind of completely hitting the reset button on something I spent 20 hours making perfect in my eyes. Yeah. And going back to square one was just kind of demoralizing. Uh-huh. I didn't have it within me to just like, perfect. Now let's do this all over again for 20 hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I think overall, if you're trying to get into like a Minecraft voxel type game, it, it's a good starting point because as you... I really like the town mechanic. Um, so in Minecraft, it's basically, hey, you're in this world, go collect blocks, build whatever. And you have villagers, but you don't have like an overall town that you're trying to build up and have your people kind of really doing too much for you. Um, but as you kind of upgrade your town and um, kind of the vitality of that, you go to like level one to four. And as you go up levels, you get different schematics and it's bigger chunks than what you would have in a Minecraft. So I think it's more edible of a game for newer players. Um, as a Minecraft player, um, I'm very used to having to start over and like connect different towns. So I, I'm fine with that type of thing. But I could see that being very daunting mm-hmm. or intimidating for new players. And the other thing I really liked about it, too, that I'll mention, you kind of just um, sparked something for me was you know, oftentimes you're always building something for someone else. Like you can build out your town and build walls and, you know, build these awesome like little rooms that, you know, at your heart's content or to your heart's content. But at the end of the day, these people will give give you blueprints for like, hey, I need to build um, a spare bedroom for my friend over here. Or I need to build a barn or I need to build a restroom. And, and they give you a blueprint and it tells you all of the blocks and the building things and the materials that you need to build that thing. And once you place the blueprint down, it's just a matter of you then placing the blocks on the blueprint to build the thing that you need to to progress the story. And I, admittedly, like I really needed that handholding to really get me into that Minecraft gameplay loop. Um, but once you're in, it's it's addicting. Yeah, I mean, I think the the one that comes to mind or the kind of the schematic I'm thinking of is like the bathhouse steam room. Yeah. Um, there's actually a mod for Minecraft where you can build like your design in a creative world, create that as a schematic and then take that over to a survival world and do basically the same thing, but that's like modded version and you mm. have to build it first. Um, no, I really liked it. I mean, being able to build bathrooms or like, and then customize the shapes and things. It's, it's a lot of fun. I really like them cooking stuff for me. Yeah. And cause it's just kind of a slow process to like throw everything on the fire and slowly do that. But like assigning people to like a kitchen and saying, Hey, cook all my bread mm-hmm. for me was really nice. Yeah. So, so if you've been struggling to get into whether it's animal crossing or even a Minecraft type game, I think um, you use the word edible. I'd probably use digestible okay. um, Minecraft type of game to get you into that loop. 
Um, Dragon Quest Builders 1 and 2, I don't really think you can go wrong. As you might expect, Dragon Quest Builders 2 kind of streamlines things a little bit more and um, makes things a bit more easier and, and just fun. <laughs> but mm-hmm. Dragon Quest Builders 1, I did go back and start that and play a couple hours of it. And it, it's just as good. It's a lot of fun. Nice. So check them out. But those are my honorable mentions, Ryan. We're an hour into the show. And I think it's time to start talking about our actual top 10 games of the year. So why don't you get things kicked off with your number 10? All right, I'm ready. So um, this is one of my platformers I played. So um, I kind of needed a a Switch game that I could play um, during my vacation. So during our July shutdown, we ended up going up to Maine, going through Acadia, and then hiking Mount Washington, which was a ton of fun. But after those hikes, obviously seven hours of hiking straight, I'm just dead to the world. Mm-hmm. So it was throw on a TV show or a movie or whatever's there and then play some Switch. Um, and then one platformer you were bugging me to play was Mario Galaxy. Hell yeah. So my number 10 is Mario Galaxy. Um, this is a great game. So my favorite kind of Mario is Sunshine. And that's mainly because of nostalgia. Um, but Mario Galaxy really changes up the formula just like to the nth degree. Yeah. Um, and I like how they've really segmented this game. So obviously Peach is stolen by Bowser. And if, if she isn't, it's not a Mario game. And you make friends with, I, I can't even remember the lore of this, but Luna. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this galaxy lady who has a star and a wand. And Rosalina, but yeah. Is it Rosalina? Rosalina's the one. Oh, the... Luna's the star thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I really liked how they broke up the worlds in this. Mm-hmm. So instead of just having like a title screen and having individual stars at the bottom and you can kind of select between levels like in Sunshine, you have this kind of galaxy map. It's like an observatory is what they call yeah. it. Yeah. And it, it's beautiful. And each world, I mean, the, the mechanic... Mario games are not super complex. I mean, it's the bosses are you hop on Bowser three times. But yeah. the way that you jump from world to world within each one of these individual planets is a ton of fun. Um, the gravity at first is kind of daunting because yeah. you're you're flipping around in space as you're hopping from world to world, shooting from planet to planet. Uh, but the overall kind of loop is great. And the variation between each one of the environments like most of the Mario games, are just very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, I really enjoyed my time with it. The music, I, you can speak more to the music. So good. I mean, I think to this point still, again, I haven't played Mario Odyssey. I know people are going to come at me with like pitchforks and fire, but like I've not played Mario Odyssey. I've, I've heard a lot of the music in that game, but to me, <sighs> Galaxy still is at the top of the list. For me. Yeah, it was great. I so I got through a majority of it during uh that vacation. And I listened to some of the soundtracks. I had some headphones in. Um, but then play finishing it out um over the last month or so. The the soundtracks are fantastic. I'm glad sure. you enjoyed it. I'm glad you finally got around to it. That's another one for me that it's like like Bioshock. It's like oh, come on, like you can't of that 360 PS3 Wii era, like there are just a, a handful of games that I feel like, as a gamer, like you have to <laughs> you have to play. And Galaxy gamer is card was in question. Yeah, and Galaxy is certainly at the top of that list. And it's actually kind of funny. I'll tell a quick story. 
I remember when Mario Galaxy was getting ready to come out, one of my buddies at the time in high school, he was like, if you pre-order this game, and this is when I was just starting to get into YouTube, I hadn't started a channel yet, but I was really beginning to follow people like P-Door, Happy Console Gamer, GameStreety1, and some of these other folks that really kind of paving the way for the YouTube gaming community to be what it ended up becoming. And so I was like researching about N64, DS, PS2, starting to get back into that stuff. And my buddy said, if you pre-order Mario Galaxy for the Wii, for me, because I didn't have a Wii yet, um, I will give you my N64 collection. And at that point, the N64 games were not the prices that they've recently become. Yeah. And he didn't have like the Mario 64s and Mario parties. He's got, he'd gotten rid of a lot of that, or maybe he chose to keep that, but he did give me a, a lot of like obscure stuff like Shadow Man and the Turok games and some, some sports titles and stuff like that. But he also gave me that bin. Uh, it's a black bin. You kind of pull out the tray and it can kind of store all of your N64 cards mm-hmm. and it actually has the N64 logo on it. Um, if you have it, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about, but I was like, done 50 bucks. I'll pre-order this for you. So I remember going to GameStop, pre-ordering it. And the day before it released, I got a phone call from GameStop, but it was in Mario's voice and was like, Hey, it's me, Mario. And like, you know, he talked about like, come pick up your copy of Mario galaxy tomorrow. And, uh, so I went, I picked up my copy of Mario galaxy, drove over to his place. He gave me the N64 stuff. And I remember watching him boot up Mario Galaxy for the first time on the Nintendo Wii. And when you walk through that town in the very beginning, um, it might be the Mushroom Kingdom, I can't remember. Um, and those little orbs or whatever they're called, the little orbs that you can kind of like shoot out of your yeah um with the Wiimote at the time. And hearing that music and having Mario walk around and jump around and the 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 gravity mechanic and seeing that game played for the first time on the Wii was just it was like an out of body experience. It was like watching Mario 64 for the first time or seeing sunshine on the GameCube, but seeing that game on the Wii was just, it was something else. Yeah, no, I I'm sure I'm, sh- I'm sure this would probably replace sunshine as if I had that similar experience to it, if I played it back then. But yeah. 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 I definitely agree game. Yeah. Really good stuff. Glad you finally got around to it and I'm glad it kind of snuck into your top 10 here, but my number 10 sort of a a 3d platformer ish i would say it's more two and a half d and that is the klonoa phantom reverie series this was a game rumored for quite some time i'm glad it finally was announced earlier this year and also came out if you're not familiar this is a remastered collection of both klonoa door to phantom isle on the ps1 and i believe lunatea's uh lunatea's veil on the PlayStation 2. The Klonoa series has been long dormant by Namco Bandai. We pretty much thought that the character was all but dead, but we got like some kind of trademark in out in, I don't know, some Asian country a while back. And we thought, okay, wait a second. Are we actually to get this collection? When it was announced, I was so excited, as was Pete Dore. I think he had like a 45 <laughs> minute like um dissecting the trailer and everything like that and getting excited of like what it looked like before and what the graphical aesthetic looked like here with this remastered collection. I don't know what else I can say about Klonoa other than like if you bottled up like a wholesome, happy platformer in a bottle, you'd get this and Kirby Crystal Shards on the N64. Mm -hmm. Really happy. Some of the most wholesome, adorable, charming music. Um, 
and, and, and platforming games that I've ever played. And Klonoa 1 especially, I feel like, for me, it's timeless. Klonoa 2, this was actually the first time I played it as part of this collection. And definitely of that PS2 era. And so, so good. I still feel like today, if you've never played the Klonoa games, some of the platform mechanics can be a little bit finicky. Um, especially if you haven't played something like Kirby 64 and the Crystal Shards, it is very much this like two and a half D platforming where you have this background foreground stuff you can kind of go back into and come forward into to find collectibles, do some light puzzle solving to kind of get through some of these levels. But I had such a terrific time playing this collection, played them back to back, popped the platinum. It was just such a treat. And I'm just so thankful that one, this remastered collection exists, and I hope it gives us Klonoa fans hope that there's more Klonoa in store in the future. Yeah, I think I watched you play one level of it. Um, yeah, it just looked like a happy game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm happy for the Klonoa fans out there. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that it sold well enough for them to um, have reason enough to make an official Klonoa 3 for current-gen consoles. That would be so awesome. Mm-hmm. But that's my number 10. Very nice. Uh, so my number, my number nine is a game we've already kind of talked about, which is Stray. Oh, okay. Um, so this is a game similar to what I said in games played. I didn't think I'd like it. It it was kind of a slug or a a hard for me to get into. Um, I think I watched you play or start this game. So the overall premise is you're a cat. You've got your little cat gang, um, trying to make your way through the overworld, uh, jumping on some pipes and then all of a sudden one of the pipes uh, slips and you fall into almost the underworld mm-hmm. um, and then from there on out um, it's a little slow for like 20 or 30 minutes until you get and I guess kind of spoilers you get your little robot friend who's yeah. basically your menu for all of the puzzles and interactions for most of the game and I think at this point, and it was that first puzzle of just me not kind of understanding the triggers of things. Once you kind of get through that room puzzle and get him, it really takes off. Mm -hmm. And what sold me was not necessarily the gameplay um, where like the puzzles. So like some of them are you have to look up guides for like, where the hell do I get this item to trade this other item to this other thing? But it was trying to understand this almost post apocalyptic cyberpunky world where everyone's a robot Mm -hmm. um i love the interactions between stray as kind of this outsider everyone's kind of scared with of you Mm -hmm. and trying to understand like i'm just a freaking cat and these are these giant like robot human-sized people why are they scared of me Mm -hmm. Um, why why the overworld kind of outsider guy what is there to fear um and I think the environments and the graphics of it really sell. Um, and if you have a cat, you're going to fall in love with it, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, just slowly making your way through that world, trying to get back to your cat friends and trying to understand what the hell happened at this world mm-hmm. is really what sold me on the environment. And then, yeah, like you said, um, I don't know if I cried at the end, but I was definitely emotional, mm-hmm. um, which I was really surprised because I didn't think a, <laughs> a cat game in an underworld would really get me there. But yeah, it, I really I enjoyed my time. Good, um, no. and it didn't it didn't really feel like it overstayed its welcome too much. Um, I think it took me four hours and forty five minutes. 
Uh, I think it's 13 chapters, but yeah, there's some twists and turns with some of the the later stuff that you're like, what the hell is going on here? Um, but yeah, overall, a solid game. Cool. Yeah, no, I'm glad you liked it. I did too. That's why it made it into my honorable mentions list. Um, just didn't quite sneak into my top 10, but definitely recommend people go out there and play Stray. Um, it's probably unlike anything you've played at this point. So Yeah, that's for sure. I, st- I would still stand by that I think Tunic is a better choice for like a top 10, like getting an indie title into the nominees for uh, Game of the Year. Um, but I, I think it is a solid indie title mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. No, I can't wait to see what the studio does next. So really good stuff there. My number to- my number nine is also an indie game. And it was a game that came out on PlayStation Plus earlier this year, originally came out in 2021, and that is Toem. I believe I talked about this a couple episodes back when I had our friend Sean Mm -hmm. on the podcast. And for those of you who have played Toem, haven't heard of it, it's spelled T-O-E-M. And you play this little dude who, when he wakes up one day, he goes to talk to his mom and you begin this journey as a photographer. And the entire premise and kind of point of the story is you're trying to make your way trek up this mountain to experience a phenomenon known as Toem, mm-hmm. the title of the game. And it has this really wonderful and charming, like diorama-like aesthetic. It's black and white environments. And you just feel like you're kind of navigating and walking around these little shoe boxes. Mm-hmm. And once you get on a little bus to go to the first town and you're transported there, you kind of walk into this town. You see all these like little NPCs, people you can interact with and talk with. And the entire, I guess, gameplay loop of the game is very Pokemon Snap-like where you're using this little Polaroid camera to take pictures and go and kind of complete side quests for all these NPCs that require you to take pictures of things. Mm -hmm. So you might have someone that you talk to in the first town to say, hey, there's this rumor going around town that there's this Loch Ness monster-like person like swimming out in the sea. You have to go find him and take a picture of him and come back and bring me proof that it exists. And so when you go into this area and you get close to the water, nothing appears. But as you start to walk away from the water, you can see that something comes out of the water. But from your angle, you can't quite take a picture of it. So what you have to do is kind of set up a tripod in front of the water, walk away, trigger the camera, and then you can take a picture of this Loch Ness monster and kind of take it back to the NPC and complete the quest. That's cool. And every time you complete a quest, you get like a little rubber stamp on your little photography book. Uh-huh. And I think there's maybe four to six different worlds. To complete a world, you might need 15 rubber stamps. So you have to complete 15 side quests in each area. And every area tends to have like 18 to 20 side quests. So you don't have to 100% it if you don't want to. Um, obviously for trophies, I did. But this was just really a game that kind of came out when Laura and I were still kind of going through everything we were going through, um, needed a break from the Assassin's Creed stuff. And this game just consistently brought a smile to my face, was laughing out loud. And, you know, you and I talked, we've talked in the past of me not being, the both of us, not really being a fan of Pokemon Snap. Yeah. And, you know, if you've played Pokemon Snap before, you know that you're kind of on rails Mm -hmm. as you kind of go through these environments take pictures of wild Pokemon. I feel like this game kind of gives you the freedom to wander around to your heart's content. You can take pictures of whatever you want to, but when you take a picture of something that you need to take a picture of 
for the sake of a quest. The controller rumbles. There's like all kinds of like little sparkles on the Polaroid picture. Yeah. And just the satisfaction you get of going back to a person, completing a quest for them and getting that rubber stamp. It's a really great gameplay loop and a game that only takes four to six hours to beat. And if you haven't played it yet, now's a great time and a great jumping on point because the developers also released a bonus world DLC that's free if either you picked up the game as part of PlayStation Plus or if you buy the game today, no additional cost required. It's just part of um, the base game. That's very nice. Yeah, I um, maybe a couple weeks ago ended up downloading this one and uh, I, I popped it in, started playing it. I'm not in the mood for another indie game right now, but I really like the premise. I got kind of out of the first area, got to the bus station, got to the first world. Um, and I, I feel like similar to what you were saying, this definitely is more intriguing than like a Pokemon Snap um, type feel. Um, it, it's got a little bit more humor and I really like the black and white aesthetic to mm-hmm. it too. Yeah. Yeah. Tome's great. Really enjoyed it. Um, certainly one of my favorite games that was offered on PlayStation plus this year. And again, you can't beat it with that free DLC and something that I was reading up on as I was kind of gathering my notes in preparation for this episode, the developers were really inspired by pop-up books when they were kids. They like mm-hmm. really loved those like little pop-up books that you would yeah. read, uh, when you open up the pages and things kind of like literally come to three-dimensional life. And that's the kind of experience they wanted to create in video game form. And I mm-hmm. think they did a great job. Yeah. So check out Toem. That's my number nine. All right. I can get into my number eight. This is kind of in a similar vein. Um, So originally Lauren and I were going to do a brother sister episode. Mm -hmm. um, And we ended up picking up Chicory as our game. It's a black and white game and you get to name your character. They ask you a series of questions, kind of what's your favorite food, all that kind of things. What's your favorite color? And my favorite food is steak. Uh, so you end up naming your character after your favorite food. So awesome. I ran around a steak for the entire game and kind of the premise is you're just a kind of a fanboy of this paintbrush holder and immediately you're kind of given the paintbrush cause the current wielder of the brush of power, um, doesn't feel like doing her job. Um, so you're kind of quest is to figure out why this world is black and white and where all this color is gone. Um, I I really love the variation. I mean, the entire point of this, now that you have the, you're wielding the paintbrush is to kind of color out the world, um, kind of discover both yourself as a character um, and kind of what happened. Mm -hmm. And the music itself is fantastic. The variation between the, just more environmental music and then the combat music. The combat music is awesome. It's great. Um, I I wouldn't expect the combat in kind of an indie painting game to be as intense as it is, but the use of your paintbrush to fight different bosses and use color is really good. Um, and I mean, as you slowly color, you can really do as much or as little as you want as far as coloring the map. Okay. Um, but as far as like, you can go into your menu and see the entire kind of overview of the map and you're slowly unlocking different chunks. But as you color it, it reflects it on the overall map. That's cool. So you're really incentivized to color as much as possible. 
So I would go through and each, I mean, between each area, the palettes change different colors. Um, and you use your paintbrush to do different puzzles to get around the environment. But um, it, it's definitely worth coloring everything if okay. possible. Now, this is an awesome pick. And they recently just added this to the PlayStation Plus game catalog. Mm-hmm. So it's one I definitely want to check out. I know that similar to Toem, this is kind of a top-down isometric perspective um, as you kind of navigate this world. But when you're painting, I mean, is it like Splatoon where you have like different guns or are you just using a paintbrush like you're a Harry Potter wand? So I didn't realize this until Lauren showed me, but you can actually, there's different sizes to your brush, which I understood, but you can actually hold down your brush and it basically colors everything within those lines. Mm. So like for the ground, instead of me like brushing the entire thing, um, I can just hold it down and say, hey, I want the ground to be green or I want it to be blue. Oh, and it okay. fills out everything with everything colors within the lines. Got it. And then if I want to do that for like the tree, um, just the leaves, I can hold it down or I can make it messy. It's up to me. OK, very cool. So it's really how you want to play as you're doing puzzles like it shoots you into like a higher ledge. So you have the splattering of uh, blues and reds and like the caves are like more neon colors as you light up crystals like it's a good variation of the use of color in this black and white world so by the end it's just a beautiful map awesome love the pick yeah i'm definitely looking forward there are two indie games that were recently added to the catalog that i want to play one being chicory and the other being spirit fair okay lauren really liked that game last year so um a goal of mine in 2023 is definitely play more indie games but chicory is is on the top of the list so love the pick glad to hear it Well, my number eight is a game I played a couple months back and its sequel was actually released this year. And I felt like in kind of anticipation of that, I obviously had to play the first game because it is a very story driven and story focused adventure. And that is A Plague Tale Innocence. Good choice. And if you haven't played this game, for me personally, I felt like it was very Naughty Dog like in its gameplay mechanics, but also its focus on storytelling and kind of character focused adventure game. But Kind of to set the scene, it's set in the 1300s France during the 100, war, 100 Years War uh, between England and France. You're playing as this young girl named Amicia, and you have this younger brother named Hugo that's always by your side. Very mm-hmm. eco yorda like experience in that sense if you've played something like Eco before. And in the very beginning of the game, you quickly discover that your brother has an illness. And without going into any story spoilers, you eventually are forced to flee your village and are searching for a doctor to help cure your brother. Mm. And as the name of the game might imply a plague tale, the world is just riddled with rats. And so over the course of a very stealthily focused type of um, gameplay, you're trying to avoid these swarms of rats. And to do that, you have to use light and fire to your advantage. And when it becomes really fun or when the game is at its 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 most fun, I think, is when you're kind of the, using the rats to your advantage and luring them towards these guards and these kind of very linear um, type corridor like levels. You're luring the rats to kind of swarm the guards, eat them up to kind of pave a path for you to continue to progress through these levels. And what was most impressive to me was really just um, the world itself, as dark and dreary and gross as it is, it looks so beautiful, um, very lifelike in that sense. Again, a lot of naughty dog, naughty dog energy with this one, and I didn't feel like the game overstayed its welcome. 
strong story. Again, looks beautiful. The only real complaint I have with it is that it's really not meant for close quarters combat. And there are a few situations in the game that they really put you in close quarters combat. And it just does not work well just because you use this slingshot that Amicia has to either sling rocks at people or sling other things that you can craft over the course of the game. And when you're in those tight tight quarter situations, it just it doesn't work well because the slingshot isn't like a gun. You can't just fire and pop these things off one by one. Yeah. There really is this slow build of mechanic for you to like get your arm going and throw it. And when you have three guys coming at you, it's almost like an auto fail on the level and you have to uh. restart to the next checkpoint. But So do you have to be stealthy in those situations to kind of counteract that? Well, certainly. And I, I mean, you never want to get yourself in a position in this game where you alert the guards and multiple, multiple of them are coming after you. And so um, that's why I love the game as much as I did, because I like stuff like Dishonored. When I play stuff like Assassin's Creed or Far Cry, I'm always kind of creepily navigating, navigating around these environments, right? Taking these guys out one by one. And A Plague Tale Innocence really encourages that type of gameplay style. But there are instances like in um, The Last of Us where you alert one guy and the whole crew knows that you're there. Yeah. They start coming after you. And so um, when that does happen, it kind of creates for a really chaotic um, a few minutes. And so you want to avoid that at all costs when you can when you can in a Plague Tale Innocence. But really enjoyed it. It didn't necessarily end on a cliffhanger, but it does end in a way where it's where you understand that, okay, they could continue the story, um, which makes sense because Requiem, the sequel, came out earlier this year and I think it was received really well because um, it was up for a number of game awards at the this year's game awards. Does so. it follow the same characters in the second one? For, yep. Okay. yep, you're still playing as Amicia and Hugo. So um, yeah, really enjoy Plague Tale Innocence. Very Naughty Dog-like if you're into those um, very character-focused adventures. Worth picking up. You can pick it up for stupid cheap nowadays on um, probably just PlayStation and Xbox. I don't think this came to Switch. Okay. So nice. Yeah, that's my number eight. All right. My number seven. So um, kind of annually similar to you, I like to go through Uncharted. Mm-hmm. And one of my 19 games this year was just going through Uncharted for, um, I think this is probably my favorite one just for by how beautiful it is with the pirate aesthetic um, and then the post credit. Um, but one of the games you've been trying to, among many freaking games that you've been trying to pressure me to play, is Uncharted Lost Legacy. Yes. And so I went through Uncharted 4, loved it. I mean, you always kind of left wanting more just to see how the characters progress. And this is a good kind of post um, Uncharted 4, let's flesh out some of the other characters. So one of the main villains is Nadine mm-hmm. in Uncharted 4, and you don't really ever like her. Um, she's a great, written, great, really well-written character, mm-hmm. but as far as likability, it's pretty low. Um, so through Uncharted Lost Legacy, her and Chloe, who was kind of the love interest in Uncharted 2, mm-hmm. you go on this adventure with some of the overlapping characters from Uncharted 4 that you meet. Yep. And I, I don't want to spoil anything. I think it's definitely worth playing Uncharted 4 
and then doing this one, mm-hmm. which kind of rounds out the entire series. Yeah. Um, but just like Uncharted 4 and really all the other Uncharted, it keeps the scale of, in this shorter um, game, it keeps the scale of some of those ruins that you're exploring and the um, kind of gravity of what's at stake. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think it's definitely worth playing. It's definitely a complement to everything else that the Uncharted series um, has to offer. Yeah. Now, I, I love the pick because when I think about my favorite Uncharted games, four, I, th- I still think is at the top. Mm-hmm. When I think about that number two spot, it's either Uncharted 2 or Lost Legacy. I just love the chemistry between Chloe and Nadine. I thought going on kind of a bite-sized adventure um, coming off of the heels of Uncharted 4, when, like you said, you were kind of left wanting more, not because the game didn't give you enough, but you just love the character so much. I love the gameplay loop of the Uncharted games. Yeah, Like I've said before, that trilogy, one through three, I play through, if not every year, every other year. And I also, as part of the, I think, Legacy of Thieves collection is what it was. It was the PS5 remaster or up-res that included both Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy. I played through those this year as well. And yeah, Lost Legacy is so, so good and really helps to flesh out Nadine's story, helps remind you why you love Chloe and Uncharted 2. And there's a few other characters that sneak in there too that are, it's really well done. Yeah, I think so too. And I think they could have capitalized on this more of doing some of these more kind of side stories if they really wanted to. It wouldn't have felt uh, like they were overstaying their welcome with the over un, un, overall Uncharted cast. But yeah, definitely a great game worth playing. Yeah, and as we think about the future for Naughty Dog, you know, Neil Druckmann, he's kind of teased on his Twitter account that they're they're working on their next big game. Recent rumors were suggesting that it's The Last of Us Part 3. I hope it's not, especially that we've gotten a remake. We're still kind of waiting for the The Last of Us factions multiplayer mode that they've already teased i'm really hoping that they one first and foremost do a new ip that's Mm -hmm. my hope but if they do go back to one of their older series and it's not jack and daxter i hope it's uncharted and i i love another nadine chloe type bite-sized adventure yeah um or i i love for them to kind of do the next story in, in nathan drake's arc but we won't go there we won't speculate too much more but um, yeah, Uncharted, it's comfy, it's it's comfort food um, gaming for me at this point, but Lost Legacy is just next level. So if you haven't played it, do yourself a favor. Yeah, for sure. But uh, my number seven is one of the lone Switch games that I played through this year. Lauren and I um, got a break from the house, a break from the raccoons, and we went on vacation um, May or June of earlier this year, I can't remember. And one of the Switch games that's been in my backlog for quite some time, I've heard people say positive things about it, and I just continue to put it on the back burner because I've heard it overstays its welcome, and uh, I I think it does. It's probably my main criticism of it, but that is Golf Story. And uh, shout out to Sports Story, same developer, but kind of blowing things out of the water with more um, opportunities to play more sports in the game. Uh, Sports Story just recently came out on Switch on Christmas Eve, but Golf Story really took me back to when Camelot was just crushing it with the Mario sports titles that they were developing, Mm -hmm. particularly Mario Golf Advanced Tour on the GBA, where they kind of introduced these RPG mechanics. You got to create your own character, you know, as you 
as you golfed, you got to allocate experience points towards stuff like power and accuracy and other things that you would expect to kind of build your perfect um, RPG golf character. But Golf Story doesn't necessarily allow you to create your own character. There's already a story that the developers have kind of penned out. And you play as this dude who's really just trying to reclaim his childhood love of the game after not playing for 20 years and try to do his dad right in his honor 20 years later and kind of go through the rigmarole of learning how to play the game of golf again. And so you have this coach who's super witty, super funny. He kind of takes you through the introductory tutorial courses, showing you the ropes of how to swing your ball, how to hit it. And once you finish that, you're kind of left your own devices to a certain extent in this top-down, Zelda-like, Earthbound-like adventure where you're kind of wandering these eight different areas, variety of terrains, completing side quests for people, completing main quests to progress the overall story. And the game gets really, really challenging. I mean, this is definitely not something that um, is for the faint of heart, but if you are a fan of the Hot Shots, Hot Shots, series of golf games you kind of have that three button click system when you're on the course there are all kinds of hazards that get more complicated over the course of the story as you kind of make your way deeper into these different areas of the game you'll have moles and crocodiles and all kinds of (laughs) other animals littered across these courses that if you hit in the general vicinity of these things the mole for example will take your ball if you land on the fairway and spit it over into the bunker so you have to hit out of the sand and stuff like that but i really enjoyed this game it took about 13 to 15 hours to beat which i think once i was hitting that 8 to 10 hour mark i'm like all right i'm kind of ready for this game to end because i don't think it mixes up the formula enough when you get to that point in the game that it's like oh i'm so ready for five to six more hours of this but honestly kind of a minor gripe because overall it's a really fun game it's a callback to the earlier mario golf games that I feel like Camelot really refuses to put the time and energy into recreating that we all loved growing up. And uh, yeah, if, if you're looking for one of those Mario Golf uh, or Mario Sports titles that the more recent ones are not really scratching that itch, look no further, pick up Golf Story. And while I haven't played it yet, I'm sure Sports Story will kind of scratch that itch as well. Really enjoyed this one over the course of my vacation and uh, was just a really nice surprise. Nice. So I yeah, I go to you for golf kind of expertise when it comes to games so as far as golf story hot shot shots the new mario golf where what's the ranking of those three or as far as your i mean you could even throw the tiger woods tour or whatever you're playing earlier Mm. what's kind of your ranking for golf games and where does this fall into that i think hot shots is always gonna have always kind of take the crown okay um i just you can't go wrong with hot shots i feel like veteran golf type players that grew up playing stuff like tiger woods pga tour or if you never played a golf game in your entire life and you've only putt putt in real life i think hot shots really kind of caters to all audiences there okay um it can be challenging don't get me wrong you still have to take into account weather effects and all that kind of stuff in the hot shots games but it really has that kind of chibi like look to it that is just very friendly and inviting um so that definitely takes the cake and uh, more recently, Clap Hands, the developer of the Hot Shots games, actually released a game. Previously, might have been mobile exclusive, but it's now on Switch, so you can get that. Otherwise, pick up Everybody's Golf on PlayStation 4. It's so, so good. You get to create your own character. All of the Hot Shots, st- all of the Hot Shots golf type stuff that you'd want to see is in that game, and it's terrific. 
Um, second to that, I think Golf Story is probably what I'd recommend. Okay. Um, unless you have a Game Boy Advance or you have a GameCube, go back, pick up Mario Golf Toadstool Tour, Toadstool. pick yeah. up Mario Golf on the Game Boy Advance. Those games are timeless. They're still good today. Um, and then after that, yeah, I mean, Mario Golf on Switch is, is okay. Um, it just, I feel like I was going through the motions. Yeah. And I feel like Golf Story has a well-penned, goofy little story there. The writing is really, really well done. Um, it's just a lot of fun. There were some really legitimate laugh-out-loud moments playing through that game uh, and some raging moments to- <laughs> towards the tail end. But Golf Story is a good time, so I definitely recommend it. Very nice. But that's my number seven. All right, getting close to the top five. Uh, my number six is a game you've talked about in your uh, recent Platinums, which is Horizon Forbidden West. That's your number six. That's my number six. That's also my number six. Oh, very nice. This yeah. should be a good discussion. Yeah. <laughs> on the same page for once. Um, so for this one, my first, as I said earlier, my first Platinum was Horizon Zero Dawn. And I think my top 10 games of all time, this was within my top five for the original game. Yeah. Um, and not to rehash the original game, but I, the world that was fleshed out in that one, a post-apocalyptic, you got robot dinosaurs, antelope, just across the board, different animals and trying to figure out what the hell happened a thousand years ago that kind of led to a restart of civilization into these more tribal cultures. And it, it was fascinating. Um, you kind of get to the end, you get your twists and your turns to your plot and this picks up, I think, essentially right where the last game ended. Um, I loved both games. It's like top six, so it's not the best. I, I think the plot, and unfortunately with sequels you can run into this, is you're trying to change it up. Like God of War, you're trying to change up the base formula because you don't want the sequel to be stale. Mm-hmm. So you have to further the plot in a way that makes it you can differentiate it better from the first. And I I feel like, I mean, I enjoyed this game a ton and they went more of a sci-fi route, which Mm -hmm. makes sense for you got robot dinosaurs running around everywhere. So I don't know how else you would have changed that. And they set up the third game, I assume in the trilogy. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I, I think it's more of the same. If yeah. you like the first game, you're going to love this one. Yeah. Um, you've played this more recently, so you, maybe you can talk about your gripes. But I think if you like that formula, you like the bow gameplay that holds up well. Mm-hmm. I, I think they've added more combo kind of kill moves as you play through it. Um, I never fully completed everything. So like all of the trees and stuff. But as far as uh, m- your ability to traverse the map and the diversity of those wetlands the fields the different tribes that you um because you're in this new land from Mm -hmm. the first game so you have different tribes and villages with different cultures that you're trying to understand different ways of running their kind of hierarchies and that stuff is fascinating to me um so overall i really enjoyed it It, it's just some of the sci-fi stuff you're like Holy shit! This it's starting to get over the top, but it is what it is. Yeah, no, I I pretty much feel the exact same way. Uh, if you like the first game, you're gonna like this one. I don't think it really does that much more to d- distinguish itself from Zero Dawn, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, mm-hmm. if you liked the first game, Zero Dawn, you're gonna like Forbidden West. 
looks stunning. I mean, graphically, this game looks so much better than Zero Dawn did, yeah. especially when you get into the actual coast, coastline uh, in San Francisco with the the white sand and the beautiful crystal clear water. I mean, just the ocean effects alone. Um, clearly, gl- Gorilla um, spent a lot of time with that type of stuff because it it looks really, really good. My, my problem with these open worlds is like, I don't go immediately to plot, especially if they do have like a, a linear plot. I just go around and run around the world. So like, I, I feel like my first 10 hours was like, you're opening up the map because your map slowly fleshes out. You're trying to slowly get rid of the fog everywhere and get uh, checkpoints. But like, I ran around the map for a good 10 hours first. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. I mean, my main complaint was the story. I mean, there were characters earlier on that I just felt like I was expecting certain people to get killed off or these climatic moments to happen. And they just didn't happen until 30 hours later. Yeah. And I kind of just felt like I kind of penned the script in my head and knew exactly what was going to happen yeah. 30 hours before it happened. So for me, I just kind of kept prolonging the inevitable and it just didn't really um, narratively scratch the itch. I was hoping it would. Um, but the minute to minute gameplay was still so much fun. Mm-hmm. So it didn't really bother me. It's just it didn't live up to like a number one game of the year type of material, because even though the gameplay was fun. I needed the kind of connection points of a really strong story and the strong gameplay to make it higher on the list, but it still makes number six. It's really good. And the other minor gameplay, I still think they're pretty significant, but they, they kind of frustrate me in an open world, the size of something like the Witcher Skyrim or horizon having to craft fast travel packs is just ridiculous. I know it kind of plays into the post-apocalyptic, resources are scarce type of idea but like come on it's just it's frustrating the other thing too traversing and climbing walls is just a travesty in this game it's a nightmare yeah like like assassin's creed the scale and it's a very similar like climbing mechanic to assassin's creed so like the scale of those environments are i'd say like maybe a third or a half of the scale of the overall horizon world um, I think in the first horizon, you had a golden fast track thing that you could eventually buy for X amount of dollars. And it's basically you can use whenever. Um, I don't know why they would have gotten rid of that. Or maybe I missed it. I didn't see it in any of the guides. Um, you do get something that allows you to quickly you do kind of yeah. get around the environment later on. Like that that's a few missions left in the entire mm-hmm. game. But that definitely helps speed things up. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, minor complaints in the grander scheme of things. But um, again, when narratively it wasn't as strong as I kind of wanted it to be, these other things kind of brought it down a little bit. But I'll go back to what you said. If you like the first game, you're going to love Forbidden West. It's really good. Aloy, freaking love her. She's the best. And yeah. I am I am looking forward to seeing where her story goes in a possible third game in the series. It's almost like the two towers, what it suffers being bookend by the fellowship in return of the King. Yes. So like you have the really good pacing and like a crap ton of things happen in the fellowship that make, there's multiple payoffs throughout. Whereas like the two towers, you basically just have Helm's deep at the end and like a lot of establishing plot for all the stuff that they're trying to set up in the third one. And then Return of the King is just just punch after punch after punch. So I, I'm hoping that they follow a similar 
kind of arc or pacing to the story where the third one just shit hits the fan all the way through and it's just fireworks. I really think it was the lack of talking trees in Forbidden West that really brought it down. Yeah, I mean, they have dinosaurs that are robots, but the Ents, when you take those out of the story, it really just lowers it from Tolkien level. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. (laughs) If you can't turn any of your dialogue into a techno rap of Legolas, then are you really writing a good story? I don't think you are. Yeah, but that was my number six. That was your number six. Do you want to talk about your number five then? I guess if that's the next one in order. Yeah, let's do it. What's your All number right. five? My next one is one of my action games this year, which is Death Store. Oh, okay. Very cool. <laughs> so this one really caught my eye. This is very similar to the same vein as like a tunic game. So this one, instead of a fox, you are playing as this raven. And why it caught my eye is one you're a raven. And then two, you've got like this red lightsaber, essentially. Mm -hmm. And the premise is you're a raven that that works for the death community. You're kind of like you're in a central hub and it's death. You're out kind of collecting souls from people. And you reap those souls and then throw them into the void. And this is very much similar to like a Lynx uh, or a Zelda three dungeon formula. Mm -hmm. So you've got three main bosses or three main dungeons that you're going through with about four um, kind of mini bosses in each area. Um, It's got some twists and turns. The combat is fantastic. If you like Tunic at all, um, or if that's one of your indie games, you should definitely play Death Store as a follow-up to that. Now I have a question. So I did end up installing this. It was on sales 50% off on PlayStation Plus. Got it for nine bucks. Nice. Uh, Or just the PSN store, I should say. Um, there are select games. It's one of my favorite things about the, I guess, UI or home screen of the PlayStation is sometimes when you hover over a game, it'll play like a 30 second song Mm -hmm. and last of us, obviously really melancholy. You got your Gustavo Santabalaya just struck in the acoustic guitar. But when I hovered over death's door, I felt like I was in a jazz club. Does it have really jazzy type music? Yeah, I mean, so where Tunic was kind of more melancholy, or not melancholy, but just kind of chill throughout the entire game, like even during the boss battles, you had, it was more of the attacks from your enemies that made it more intense. Uh, Death's Door had great music throughout the entire gameplay. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got the three different dungeons very differently, so um, you get different genres of music throughout all of them, but... Um, yeah, again, if you like Tunic, this is what I played right after Tunic because I was still just like feeling it. Um, it's worth playing for sure. The combat holds up really well. There's, I think six different weapons. Um, the plat, this was one of the three platinums I got Mm -hmm. this year. Um, it's not a hard platinum. You just have to go through it twice. You can do whatever when it comes to weapons on your first playthrough to kind of get the full experience. Um, which is how I recommend you doing it. And then the umbrella playthrough is the, the, you can get an umbrella, which is basically halves your damage at the start. Okay. And I found on the umbrella playthrough, you actually kill the final boss way quicker just because of the speed. Um, it, it's, it's a great game. Um, the puzzles are not super difficult. They're all really intuitive. Um, unlike tunic, you don't have kind of a safety mode that, locks in your health at full health or full stamina like you don't have the accessibility stuff but i don't think it's so difficult that it wouldn't be as inviting as okay cool no i mean i have it installed on my ps5 so 
it's not really a matter of if, it's just when I get around to it. Nice. So good stuff. Another excellent pick. A lot of indie love this year from us. Yes, for sure. And um, speaking of indie love, number five, starts with T. We already talked about it. Tunic. And that is my number four. So we can we can talk about kind it. Kind of tag team it here. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it in the last episode. I'll kind of just reiterate. If you haven't played Tunic, if you haven't heard about Tunic, you play as an adorable little fox. It's very Zelda Link's Awakening, Link to the Past type game in terms of its gameplay style. There's no handholding. At the very beginning of Tunic, you kind of wake up in this world. You're playing as this fox. You have no powers, no weapons, no nothing. And there's really no direction. There's no way marker on the map that says you need to go here. You need to go there. Nothing like that. This is not an Ubisoft game, people. Okay. <laughs> they don't really tell you where you need to go at every waking moment. And as you kind of start to wander around, you start to find these little white pieces of paper. And as you pick up these white pieces of paper, you begin to build out and piece together the game manual of this game. And it's very, if you ever had an original Nintendo entertainment system or the Super Nintendo or even the Genesis for that matter, even though it was the inferior console to the Nintendo stuff back in the day, <laughs> it is this super colorful, super vibrant, detailed manual. And each page is kind of a guide telling you and helping you understand and make sense of the weapons in the world the different tools that you're going to equip and find that help you navigate around the world. Some of them might actually be answers to puzzles that you'll come into contact with later in the game. Yeah. And some of the earliest pages that you find or say to the effect of like, hey, there's this bell on the right side of the map. There's this bell on the left side of the map. You need to ring both. So as you go to the right, you eventually over the course of um, the opening hours, find a shield, you find a sword, and you really begin to outfit your character for the rest of this eight to 10 hour Zelda-like adventure. And you kind of already hinted at it because we were at the very tail end of the year. Not that I wanted to artificially accelerate the game. I just didn't want the difficulty of it to hold me back from finishing it because the opening hours alone, I knew this was going to sneak into my top 10 mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. And so I turned on the no fail mode so I couldn't die but still, I felt like I was, we talked about puzzles, right? And how I oftentimes don't like them. But, and I did use a guide for some of them because some of the, the puzzles in this game and unlocking certain doors with the, it's kind of like a cheat code system where you use the control up, pad down, on your left, controller. right kind of thing. Yeah, up, down, left, right. Some of them are like 30 up, down, left, rights long. And, and that's kind of optional as well. That's kind of if you want pages for like the true ending, do you really have to do those? I don't think during the course of the entire game did I ever use it, mainly because my controller was broken. But yeah, it's those are definitely guide worthy. But when you come up to certain areas on the map, you'll see um, almost this stair step like graphic. Yeah. And the stair step like graphic, when you follow it with your eyes or you start drawing it out on a piece of paper, that's the answer to this puzzle. That's mm -hmm. the up, down, left, right stuff that you need to follow to understand how to open this treasure chest, how to open this door, how to make a treasure chest appear that is just a collectible that you can add to your tool belt um, of collectibles. It, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever played in that sense, but it feels very familiar if you've played the old school like Legend of Zelda games and I really haven't played an old school Legend of Zelda game. Really, I would say since Link Between Worlds on the 3DS, I played a little bit of the Link's Awakening remake on Switch, 
But my goodness, was this just a breath of fresh air? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Um, it's just, it's vibrant. It's it's quick gameplay. I didn't play with the assist mode on up until like the final boss where you, you told me this week that you're like, hey, you haven't actually completed this game. Um, and for that, I got through a two-phase boss and I was like, oh yeah, I just beat the final boss and then it starts phase two and I have zero flasks. I'm like, for the sake of this, I, I'll put it on. Um, it, it is challenging for sure. Um, and it's up to you how you want to play the game. I, I don't think either way is wrong. Mm-hmm. It, there, as long as you're having fun, that's all that freaking counts. Exactly. And this is one, as far as indie games go, is probably top tier mm-hmm. along with Death's Door. Um, it, it was hard choice for me to between the two. I, I just think I think the character and um, I, I think the overall story is a little bit deeper in Tunic and what all is below the surface of that iceberg that you can kind of flesh out if you really want to go into lore, if you want to decipher some of the stuff, which is completely optional, mm-hmm. like similar to Dark Souls. Like if you read item descriptions, you'll start learning stuff. But it's a fantastic game that you shouldn't miss if you're trying to find great games from this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely a highlight. That's why it makes number five. So if you haven't played Tunic, you can get it on everything now. It was Xbox exclusive when it released earlier this year. Now you can get it on Switch. You can get it on PlayStation. I believe Steam as well. So definitely check it out if you're into Zelda-like games. But uh, my number four, I'll kind of sneak this in here because your four was Tunic, right? Yep. My number four was Demon Souls Remake. Really? You're not going to see Elden Ring on my list because I didn't finish Elden Ring. I got about 40 to 45 hours in, didn't make it too deep into the game. So I felt like it'd be disingenuous to my top 10 list building if I tried to include it here. But I, earlier this year, really before all the house stuff started, had an incredible time playing Demon's Souls Remake. I really only played it a couple hours on PS3 about a year or two ago. Um or probably just before I would say the remake came out, you and I were playing on PlayStation 3 and just seeing how what's now not only become a franchise, but a literal genre in Souls-like got its humble beginnings on PS3 and seeing this come the next generation life on PlayStation 5 graphically, but still staying true to the original and really not changing any of the finer gameplay mechanics of it. Yeah. God bless blue point games they are just doing gorgeous great things out there and demon souls remake is no exception obtuse as fuck though like holy moly (laughs) like going back to the nexus and trying to figure out that like i I don't know you can speak to this better than i can but like you need to like basically jump off a cliff at the nexus so that you die so that your 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 world stuff you can either go into the white or to the black whether you want your Depending on which, and it's, 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 it's obtuse as fuck, but so like each, there's multiple worlds. I think there's six of them, maybe five of them. And in each world, you can either go fully to the white or fully to the black. And as you go whiter, it's like all the way you can find specific items. Or if you go into the black saying you died in that world when you're fully like full HP. So like if you die, you go down to half HP and you can slowly like increase that. But there's items if you're fully either color and then as you go closer to the black, it gets harder, like newer enemies, more damage. Like it's 
And that's where the platinum is a pain in the ass because you have to get specific items fully in each world. Mm. Um, I, I told you to go jump off in the Nexus or kind of your hub world to die there because there's no repercussions in the world either way. You kind of keep a, a neutral or fully going into the white as you beat the bosses, mm-hmm. um, which I think is worth doing. Um, if you're having trouble in this game, which I think you originally... You kind of got discouraged because it is it is daunting. I mean, you can go to the kind of end game world or the harder of the five worlds, like right off the bat. Um, but if we, I took you to the skeleton world, got you the falchion, which is like a magic damage thing. We got you to a place where you could grind a little bit of XP, and which is the same path that I took, and slowly knock out the worlds. But yeah, graphically, like I. I played uh, the first one, like you were saying, on PS3 for a bit. Just, it's night and day. Mm-hmm. Like, even compared to... I mean, it's a totally different graphical style than from what FromSoft actually does with their game. They have a very unique style. But as far as, like, photorealistic goes, this really shows you the power of the PS5 and what it can do graphically. Yeah, if ever there was a game... I know people say the PS5 isn't worth it yet because there isn't enough exclusive games. Um, and you can get a lot of stuff on PS4 demon souls remake is enough i mean that ratchet and clank two great games to start your ps5 journey with not even to mention you know astro's playroom that's a little pack-in game Mm -hmm. but what i love about the dark souls game in general how i think they're best played for me personally are when i'm up here in the game room i'm sharing my screen you and i are mic'd up talking to each other you're at home um kind of not guiding me through but just watching me play through the game yeah. And, you know, fighting the Tower Knight for the first time or the Flame Lurker or the Armored Spider when you kind of go into that mine-like environment. Yeah. And what's crazy about Demon Souls is that first area leading up to the Tower Knight, how long it takes for you to get to like a bonfire equivalent like checkpoint place. Yeah, I mean, you can't even level up through the first full boss and that first area is massive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, through I mean, the phalanx, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy, but um, I don't know. I mean, it's difficult to describe the satisfaction and adrenaline rush you get from playing these games to people unless you experience what it's like. When you're kind of sweating bullets, you're running around these levels, you have like, you know, 10,000 souls that you you need to bank and level up, but you want to get just a little bit further to see what's around the corner and then whack right in the face. Just knocked off a cliff. <laughs> you're dead. 10,000 souls down the drain. That's 45 minutes of progress you just lost. To a lot of people, they want to vomit when they hear stuff like that. But for me, it's like, give me more. Like, I, I just, I love it. Yeah, I don't know if it's the pain aspect or what. But it's overcoming the pain. Yeah, you know? it's, and I think the Dark Souls or From Soft Worlds are, it's kind of winning by whatever means necessary. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter like if what you do is cheap, like you're beating this game that is known for its difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, and for this one, I started with Dark Souls 3 and I went to Bloodborne. So I'm like the end of kind of the series or the newer of the games. But going back and looking at the origin of like how far it's come and like in a more graphically uh, pleasing kind of coat to it. It, it's definitely worth playing. It does. It's going to feel a little bit clunkier, but I think overall combat and it's still the Dark Souls like hide behind a shield type thing. But overall combat still holds up. Yeah. So 
That's why it makes my number four really memorable. When I look back on the year that was, and I look at some of the more, I'm never going to forget the time I played through that game. It's when I was playing through Demon's Souls remake earlier this year, you and I were mic'd up going through some of those earlier areas of the level. And then also just like lighting you up via text. Like, dude, you won't believe it. I ran at this one guy, beat this boss <laughs> my first try. Like, you know what I mean? And when you and I are going back and forth with like that, those tend to be like some of the most highlight games for me over the course of the year. And Demon's yeah. Souls is really at the top of the list. So, And what's nice, and my last thing about this, is for any of the speedrunning shortcuts they had in the original game, um, there's like a roll skip in the skeleton world that we used mm-hmm. um, to skip a lot of the harder portion of a level. Um, that's They're all still in there. Like it, It's basically a new coat of paint on the foundation of this game. So if you're into speedrunning, I believe the old one should be able to hold up in this game as well. Yeah. Unless it's frame rate related where you have to lag out a game where this one would probably screw that up because it's on a PS5. Yeah. But yeah. Demon Souls remake, man. Really good stuff. And uh glad I played it. But yeah. Now we're getting to the cream of the crop, Ryan. Our top three games of the year. So what's coming in at number three for you? This is a game that we talked a lot about last week, I think for like 30 minutes. Okay. Um, and this is a game that I nearly missed this year um, until I gave it a chance maybe a couple weeks ago. And it's quickly become my favorite platformer oh. of all times. And this is Ukulele, man. I just, I'm so glad you <laughs> only the impossible layer. I hated the first one. Only so glad you finally got around to playing that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Tinykin. Tinykin. Number, your number three game. That is also my number three game. Dude, we are just in sync. We're in sync, yeah. Jeez. Uh, we talked about this for 30 minutes last time, so I don't know how much more I can gush about this game. It, it's just imagine a more fleshed out Toy Story type world, um, looking at the Toy Story 2 uh, type games where it's super old school and jank. But this one has, and we missed it last time talking about this, and when I think of platformers, I think of a little bit of combat, but this game does not have any combat. None. It is purely collecting. Um, you can still die by falling off a hall, tall heights, but it's just collecting, exploring, and just trying to try traverse these kind of house, different rooms. So like bathrooms, bedrooms, laundry rooms, like all of that. Um, and the scale is fantastic. You slowly unlock shortcuts to different worlds. So just skating across these giant kind of ropes and looking at the entire world of what you've kind of explored and what you have left to explore as you see these little collectibles everywhere. It's it's like no other platformer that I've played. And I I thought that I would need some type of combat in or some type of enemy in a platformer to make it feel like rewarding. And it's very much not the case. Mm-hmm. It's it's the gimmickiness of, like you said, the Pikmin type uh puzzle solving and just it's the Toy Story thing. I, I when you feel like you're in Toy Story similar to Kingdom Hearts 3, it's just it's fantastic. Yeah. No, I it reiterate everything or echo everything you just said and i echo everything i said on last week's episode but um just to kind of remind people if this is if you didn't listen to last week's episode and this is your first time tuning into a talker brothers or or whatever tinykin you play as this little dude uh very much like a saturday morning cartoon feel and vibe to the overall graphical graphical aesthetic it looks 
something right out of Cartoon Network. But you play as this little astronaut guy that's trying to discover new life forms on other planets. And lo and behold, he crash lands into a house that is from the early 1990s. So as you're going through these bedrooms, as you're going through these bathrooms, as you're navigating these laundry rooms, you'll see stuff right out of the 90s that you'd expect to see in a home, like VHS tapes, like vinyl records, um, like video game cases, like old school CRT TVs. All of that stuff is littered around this environment. You use it to help navigate and traverse your way to all these collectibles. I, I can't, I don't know, man. Everyone on this podcast knows how much I love 3D platformers. I had a really hard time not making this my 2022 game of the year because it's it's that deserving of it. Back mm-hmm. in 2018, my number one game of the year was Ukulele for a multitude of reasons. Go back and listen to that episode. I'm literally planning and scripting out a retrospective five years after playing Ukulele, why that's going to be, why that's one of my favorite games of all time. Stay tuned for 2023 when that video hits my YouTube channel. But Tinykin, Tinykin does the same thing Ukulele did for me where it makes me feel like a kid again. I'm waking up, I eat my Fruity Pebbles, I run to the other room, I turn on my PlayStation 1 and I escape to the tundras of Spyro 2, Ripto's Rage. I turn on my N64 and I'm wandering around Mumbo's Mountain with Banjo and Kazooie and just getting lost in those worlds. And I just feel like a kid again with the music, with the world, with all of the collectibles littered everywhere and just endless happiness. And that's that's what you find in Tinykin. It's, it really is one of the best games I've played this year. It's one of the best platformers I've played in years. And I literally saw someone else that might listen to this show, Ultimate Floyd, Scott, known him for years from my YouTube days, he said this is the best 3D platformer he's played since Super Mario Odyssey, to put things into perspective. Wow. So um, if that's not enough praise and hype for Tinykin, I don't know what else is. Ryan and I love it. It's our number three games of the year. Could have easily snuck into the number one spot for me. I really did like it that much. Please, for the love of all that is good, go out and play Tinykin. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it could have snuck in at two or snuck in at one. Um, unfortunately, some... My favorite genre had a few major titles this year, but as far as platformers, I think this is my favorite, but uh, definitely deserves all the praise. Yeah. It's been getting. Well, I'm pretty there, sure. There's that... two games that we have not talked about, for at least for me. Well, I was about to say, because one of them is going to make my list, but I'm pretty sure that your number two game is probably my number two. Okay. And well, dude, we're freaking killing it. And that's God of War Our... Ragnarok. Yes. So that's, that's my number two game. Wow. Um, yeah, we talked earlier about Horizon Forbidden West kind of like struggling um, with the sequel stuff where it doesn't quite hit narratively, but it does a lot of the same stuff that the first game did. So if you like the first, you're going to love the second. But I feel like God of War Ragnarok raised the bar for me. I didn't feel like it was just more of the same. And I'll briefly talk about this. I mentioned a couple episodes back. I think this has a lot to do with time and place, when I played it and how I played it. Okay. Because the first God of War, I've talked a little bit about it before. Um, I did not play it at launch. I watched you play the first six or seven hours. Mm-hmm. Um, came over to your place, watched you play the first six hours, got my hands on the sticks, did feel the satisfaction of throwing that Levi- Leviathan axe, very much like Thor's hammer, whipping it back. Some of the most satisfying combat in an action game that I've played in years at the yeah. time. But never picked up the game myself until a few years later in 2020, I streamed the first couple of hours of God of War. 
and not a very ga- good game to start out your streaming career. <laughs> no, especially because with streaming and I've never streamed, so I'm just going to have to empathize. But looking at chat and having to talk to chat when you have Sindri and Brock talking in the background, which is really some of the funniest parts of this game. Um, two of my favorite characters in both of the games. Um, yeah, probably not the best streaming. <laughs> it's not. And so I was very distracted. And so last year I finally went back, um, picked up my save file, didn't restart the game. So it was already about six, seven hours in the game, picked up that save file, played it to completion in 2021. Narratively, I also had the the final story bits, the big reveals in the 2018 God of War game spoiled for me. So there was nothing that was like a, a big payoff or wow moment in that game outside of a couple finer things, but I won't go into the details. All I'm saying is I did not play 2018 God of War the way they intended. Yeah. Ragnarok, however, I know life did. Beat it in about a week, got the platinum trophy, did everything you possibly could. I squeezed every little bit of toothpaste out of that tube of, t- tube of toothpaste. <laughs> I just took it all in. Yeah. And I really do think that this game elevates itself. Like the writers at Santa Monica Studio outdid themselves with the writing in this game. Yeah. Conversations between Kratos and Atreus, Atreus, conversations between Kratos and other characters I won't even go into. And the final hours of this game, I mean, it really feels like you're on the edge of your seat watching Return of the King, Lord of the Rings, seeing the payoff of moments in 2018 and everything that they build up in Ragnarok bringing this game to a momentous bombastic conclusion that I feel like is certainly worthy of game of the year. Yeah, for sure. I I think it was a big toss up, especially at the game awards between this and Elden Ring for game of the year. I I think it could have been 50, 50 either. Um, I, I think God of war one through three set a very solid foundation, completely different style of game, more action versus RPG. The, 2018 was another great foundation for a more grown-up adult version uh, of Kratos and his relationship with his son and how that all kind of progresses. Um, And then this one really, like you were saying, pulls from moments from the first game, but then also I, I loved a lot of the conversations referencing Kratos in the first three games. Yeah. Like there's conversations that you're like, because there's a lot of shit that goes down in those games that it's not just like killing gods, but it's like shit with his first family. Mm-hmm. That you're like, hmm, why is Kratos like pale as fuck? It's because he has like the ashes from his dead wife and child. Mm-hmm. You're like, no one else in this new kind of pantheon of gods knows about that. Mm-hmm. And the conversations that you have, either alluding to directly or indirectly, a Kratos and fleshing out him towards his new supporting cast, I, I think are great. I, yeah. th- those are some of my favorite moments besides like the main story beats. Yeah, it's terrific. It's my 2022 game of the year. Um, my number one is a game that did not come out this year. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but yeah, for anyone that's played 2018, that's kind of like, oh, I don't really want to get around to Ragnar- Ragnarok anytime soon, maybe later. You got to play this game soon. Yeah, don't get it spoiled for you. It, it was really hard. Freaking shorts on Instagram and shorts on YouTube. They, they're con- people are 
fuckers are constantly posting spoilers, like within a day. Boss like, battles, yeah. all kinds of stuff. How the hell did you get 30 hours in in the last 24 hours? It, it doesn't make sense. But as soon, like, to not have this spoiled and to get those payoffs, it's definitely, sorry, it's squeaking a tad bit. Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely worth playing either back to back or as soon as possible. Yeah, really enjoyed it. And uh, I think a lot of other people out there did too. But uh, what is your game of the year? Have any guesses? I'm going to guess it's probably Elden Ring. Yes, it is. I I mean, this is my most anticipated game for really the last two years. Yeah. Um, It was funny. We were like number two in a podcast charting or like searches for Elden Ring when the original trailer came out because we had that 45 minute episodes of me just going into the lore. Yeah, that was crazy. It's still our most listened to episode by a country mile. Um, yeah. So like when the trailer came out or leading when Elden Ring released and obviously everyone's experience in the game wants to know the finer details of the lore and the story. I titled one of our episodes, the lore of the Elden Ring. Yeah. And so people obviously wanted to understand the story of the Elden Ring after they played it and while they were playing it. And so the top search result was our episode. And so it was downloaded just a ridiculous. And it, it was a play on the Lord of the Rings or like the Lord lore of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be like our little punny title for it. Uh, but we our lives were made that we were number one in the world. Well, for- the funny thing is, you know, <laughs> for Spotify wrapped, obviously, yeah. if you have Spotify, you as a listener of stuff, get your own little Spotify wrapped thing. But if you host a podcast on Spotify, you also get analytics about your podcast. Mm. In previous years, it's like, oh, your listenership went up like 6% or whatever. Or this was your most downloaded episode. Our listenership went up 10,000% this year. <laughs> and I mean, we're not super like, we need to get all the statistics and get all the marketing. No, and all that stuff. not at all. But it's just, it was just hilarious because you sent me the text. You're like, dude, search <laughs> Elden Ring. And it was just like, holy shit. Uh, we're Joe Rogan now. But, Basically. Uh, yeah, Elden Ring, it's, I mean... I, I love this game. It, it's great. It's a great combination of a take on an open world game by FromSoft. Mm-hmm. It combines mostly the Dark Souls combat, a lot of Dark Souls 3, not too much of Bloodborne. Um, but then you have the kind of combat arts of Sekiro. And mm-hmm. I, as I gushed about Sekiro, I love that game's combat as well. I mean, if you like Dark Souls 3 or any of those, throw that into an open world, the environment's in the scale. Like the scale of this game when it comes to kind of similar to Skyrim, look off in the distance and anywhere you look, you can kind of go. Yeah. But imagine instead of most of Skyrim being plains and then High Rothgard, that mountain in the middle, I mean, the the altitude change between environments, you have the normal kind of swampy areas. Um, but the cliffs and yeah, it's just, the scale is fantastic. Um, I, I didn't know really what to expect. We had the trailers that really got me, my loins moist Mm -hmm. and it definitely fulfilled everything I wanted it to. Um, the dungeons, I mean, there's, I think a hundred plus bosses. Um, it's, it's really hard to fill out or mini bosses, bosses, depending, it's not like the main kind of checkpoint bosses but in a world that has that many bosses you're gonna have and it could be a complaint like the base kind of addition or base boss and then you're slowly adding elements or new move sets as you go but it's a similar model and i can see that being a complaint 
I'm used to that in some games just to fill out the roster. But as far as like the main boss fights go, the unique kind of story beats, um, all great fights. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a ton of fun. I mean, I put like 200 said, hours into it. Yeah. 200 hours. Um, and I still haven't done anything or even close to everything. And what's great about this. And there's so many different weapons. There's so many different ways to play it with all of the builds. I think I've played my blood build mm-hmm. and I've ran through it multiple times. I just started, uh, like a heavy weapon build, which is not usually how I play these games, but the replayability is just off the chart. Mm-hmm. And even the stuff, it's completely missable for what the underground dungeons are huge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I hope you eventually get, yeah. you played a decent amount of it. And if you ever go back, I'll play it alongside you in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, but if, if you like any of the Souls type games, it's worth playing. 100%. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed my time with Elden Ring. Kind of came at an interesting time where things were kind of taking a turn for the worse with our house. Yeah. And so as happy as the world of Elden Ring is, um, <laughs> I just felt like I want to I want to prolong this happiness for down the road. Yeah, and I mean, this is, and unfortunately for Horizon, this was a really rough launch window. I mean, yeah. they got overshadowed a week later and I didn't know if I wanted to play Horizon, but like, I didn't think I'd ever go back to Horizon if I didn't fully beat it in a week. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was a long week, 60 hours of work or 60 hours work, quote unquote, of Horizon plus 40 hours of work. But um, yeah, I could see people being like burnt out in their first impressions. Um the music, I think, in our medley, you have a song in there. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the boss battles hold up to the quality of so Ludwig's from Dark Soul or Bloodborne's DLC is my favorite boss battle soundtrack of all time, mm-hmm. first and second phase. But these definitely hold up to the quality for sure. I'm glad it met your expectations and in some time, in some places, exceeded them. Mm-hmm. I would say uh, definitely a game I need to get back to. But uh, I'm still glad I got a FromSoft game in here, sort of, technically speaking, with Demon Souls Remake. Yeah. Um, really good stuff. But now it is time for me to reveal my game of the year. And originally I had God of War Ragnarok as my number one game. Uh, it is technically my 2022 game of the year because um, my number one game did not come out in 2022. And I think it only made the most sense because I was talking with Lauren about this. I was showing her my list and... After talking with her, she's like, well, do you really think that game should be there? Do you think it should be there? And so I did, did do some shifting after talking with her because she watched me play a lot of these games over the course of the year. And um, obviously I'm talking about these games with her. And so when I talk about one game more than the other, she's like, well, you, you should probably you know bump that game up a little bit. But anyways, this game was originally my number two. But after you know arguing with myself, it had to be number one. Ryan, what is the series that I could not get away from this year? Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed. And so you heard me talk about Assassin's Creed on this podcast for the better part of a dozen hours, probably. Mm-hmm. What of all of the Assassin's Creed games that I played this year do you think comes in at the number one spot? And is, this is a factual statement here, also the best Assassin's Creed game, in my opinion? Uh, I think it would be the one you tried to, or I you told me to play, mm-hmm. which is Origins. Assassin's Creed Origins. This came out in 2017. This is kind of the start of a new era for Assassin's Creed following Syndicate. 
where they introduce these RPG mechanics. And this is the one set in ancient Egypt. And I still continue to think about this game, wanted to go back to it. This week I did. I went back and started playing some of the DLC. I got through one of the DLCs. I'm currently working on the other one now. What's crazy to me is, and this I, this has never happened to me before. I've never completely written off a series and gone this hard on after like, you know, getting back into one, right? Yeah. Because if I look at Assassin's Creed Valhalla when I played last year, the only reason why I went and played that was because I was watching that TV show called Vikings, played Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and I'm like, you know what? I'm like really digging this gameplay loop. Let's keep going. Yeah, because I think I got back into it before you did Mm because I got Odyssey and you never got into Odyssey. And I think I was a little discouraged just because of kind of the gating on some of the XP, which was it slowed you down artificially. Um, But yeah, when your train started, you just took off 150 (laughs) percent. I did. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't be stopped this year. Assassin's Creed, really, the different worlds just helped me get away from the stress of life and just escaping to these different um, time periods and origins and odyssey and syndicate into whatever Assassin's Creed game it was. It was not only just the gameplay loop that I love in those Ubisoft type games, uh, but it was the stories and origins, especially. I think it has not only the best story, but also some of the best character moments in Assassin's Creed, particularly with the main protagonist, Bayek, Bayek and Aya, um, their husband and wife. So if you're not familiar with Assassin's Creed origins, um, I know I do want to say one thing really quickly, because I'm sure a lot of people are rolling their eyes. It's a bro series. Basically, it's synonymous with Call of Duty and Gears of War. There's a lot more going on with Assassin's Creed and its lore and storytelling than people would believe. And I'd really encourage people before I go deep on the story and why I love it so much. If you stop playing Assassin's Creed after the first game, or maybe you played two or you played Brotherhood, or maybe you snuck in a three or Black Flag at a certain point because... Black Flag launched with the Xbox One and the PS4 back in the day. And like, no, this series isn't for me. I can't do this anymore. Two Assassin's Creed games, I'd strongly recommend you try to see if it's for you still. The first of which is Assassin's Creed Origins. Mm -hmm. Give that a try. Set in ancient Egypt, an incredible world to explore. So well realized. If you've ever had even a remotely similar fascination with ancient Egypt as I do, You'll love running around this world on a camel, horseback, scaling up the pyramids of Giza, whatever it is. This game does it so well. The other Assassin's Creed game, the last one in kind of that focus on stealth and assassin type gameplay as the games that came before it, try Assassin's Creed Syndicate. This is the one sent in Industrial Revolution London. Um, Austin Winery composed the score. If it wasn't Assassin's Creed Origins, it was Assassin's Creed Syndicate that would have slipped into this number one spot for me. It's that good, and I remember it that fondly, and I will going forward. But anyways, back to Origins, back to its story. Again, the best story in the series, in my opinion, and also some of the best character moments. Bayek and Aya, especially as the lead protagonist, kind of driving this story where in the very beginning, their son's murdered, and so they're kind of hell-bent the rest of the game exacting revenge on the people that were responsible for murdering their son. But how over the course of this, you know, 25 to 30 hour story, how that mission of revenge kind of shapes and unintentionally evolves and shakes up their marriage relationship 
and for it to feel so authentic and not video gamey yeah was really special and again talk about character building and payoffs emotionally for video game storytelling really really well done i i cannot tell you how surprised i was coming away from origins um but also as the name would imply origins like seeing the actual origins of the creed where the logo comes from there's literally a sequence towards the end of the game where you find out where that signature assassin's creed emblem comes from and just seeing all of that kind of come to fruition after playing you know how many assassin's creed games at this point if you played them all chronologically leading up to origins and what a great way to kind of reboot the series going forward by going backwards if that makes sense with its storytelling roots um it was just incredibly badass so cool and the final cutscene sequence and kind of seeing how everything comes together that literally was what kind of hyped me up and said no we're fucking doing it this year we're just gonna play (laughs) all of these games backwards chronologically i literally played origins then i went to syndicate then i went to you know i played odyssey i played two i played all of these assassin's creed games and it wasn't just because i needed to numb myself and get lost in this world because of the stress of life like i genuinely was like enjoying my time playing these games but i could rant forever assassin's creed origins please give it a try um it does what i love with the far cry games that far cry's really gotten away from nowadays where you come into these strongholds these these enemy bases and you can take tally of every single person that's there and you can stealthily wander around the environment hide in bushes whistle for people to come over take these people out one by one and just literally overtake the entirety of egypt it's phenomenal and i had an incredible time pumping 70 hours into this game getting the platinum trophy and completing the dlc as well and that's why um i say assassin's creed origins is my game of the year but literally the entirety of the series this year really helped me through some difficult times so that's why it's uh it's number one on my list no i think it's a good pick um you had me play this game as well as you were you were deep into your assassin's creed grind and i want to say i had 15 hours into this um i had originally played odyssey when it comes to like the new rpg type assassin's creed games and that one's like heavily RPG, more so than Origins does. Mm-hmm. And I think the the outfits that you wear in Origins are more cosmetic, whereas mm-hmm. in Odyssey, it's like like stat related stuff, which could be overwhelming. So I, I think even as a transition game between the two different distinct genres as the old kind of stealth action versus the new RPG, it, it's a very good stepping stone. Um, I tried to break the game, which I generally try to do when it comes to RPGs, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. It broke me. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, I, I think, yeah, I it, it's a great series um, that I will eventually have to get back into, especially finishing Origins or my experience yeah. as well. So that's my game of the year, and uh, that's our top 10 mm-hmm. games of the year. So hopefully everyone found that entertaining. Maybe you found a couple recommendations um but again as i called out in the beginning i will call out again ryan and i still have at least a week before we're going to record our community game of the year special so if you are listening to this episode and this is the latest release for otaku brothers it means you still have time to get your email in for the seven award categories that we have this year for our otaku brothers community game of the awards game awards 
segment. So get in on the fun discussion. We can't wait to hear from you. We've already got some crazy long emails that I cannot wait to read in uh, next week's episode. But with those award categories in mind, Ryan and I also probably had some fun rounding out the list and uh, selecting games for each of those categories. And the first category that I have on my list, Ryan, is comfort food game of 2022. What was your comfort food game this year? Um, this should be no surprise, and that's RuneScape. Mm. It, this is my fallback. It was really between Minecraft and RuneScape. Um, but as far as background games, when I'm AFKing RuneScape and playing other games or other RPGs, yeah, this is kind of my fallback. Um, I like I said earlier, I got seven ninety nines, and I mean I've in the original RuneScape, it kind of progressed into RuneScape three, which is not a game I play anymore. But I had maybe nine ninety nines in total, and my kind of goal or what I wanted to do was experience what I didn't experience then. Mm. So all seven of the ninety nines are stuff that I haven't done before previously. So just experiencing it in a different way. So. Yeah, I mean, if 910 hours doesn't show that it's it's a little bit of a comfort food similar to your 250 in Assassin's Creed, but yeah, it's a my good fallback background game. Good stuff. And probably to the surprise of no one, uh, my comfort food game of 2022, just the Assassin's Creed series. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's just, yeah. let's just be honest with ourselves for two seconds. Yeah. Um, rewind the episode about three minutes to hear me rant and, and gush about Assassin's Creed Origins and the series in its entirety. To really better understand why, but it, it got me through some difficult times, and um, it was a, a series that I can I continue to retreat to, and it doesn't disappoint. So mm-hmm. that's my comfort food game of 2022, Slappin' OST. This is the soundtrack to a game that just went way too hard. Your toes were tapping, you were dancing to the tunes and the beat of that game's music. Ryan, what was your Slappin' OST this year? Mine was Tiny Ken. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the worlds and all of the different phases of those worlds as you kind of hit the main objectives are just far more than I expected for a platformer. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it really, it makes traversing the worlds just a far better experience and it hits pretty hard. Yeah, no, that's my slap and OST as well. Um, yeah, Tinykin, good stuff on all fronts. Please check it out. Your blink and you'll miss a game. This is a game that can really go under the radar. Maybe you didn't know it came out this year, but you were treated to a delightful video game surprise when you got around to playing it. What is your blink and you'll miss it? Uh, this is either of two. I mean, I couldn't pick. It's either Tinykin or Tunic. Okay. Um, both games, I mean, as we've ranted over the this episode, are well-deserving of a game. I think Tinykin more so. Tunic was more... Mainstream. Comer- yeah, commercialized or more trailers out or Game yeah. of the Wards. Um, tiny Ken, I had no idea what the hell it was until you platinumed it. And, uh, yeah, it's played the damn game. Yeah, it's so good. Um, that's also mine. And the I'll get to it eventually game of 2022 could be a game that came out in 2022 or just a game you picked up in general. Uh, it's kind of still sitting on your shelf. Maybe it's still shrink wrapped. What is that game for you? So 2022, I kind of hit the main things that came out that I really wanted to having beaten six from this year. Um, this is a game from, I think, last year that I put about five to ten hours in. It's Final Fantasy VII Remake. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it was on my top ten list last year, but it, I really need to get through this game plus the DLC. Okay, good stuff. I still need to get through the Integrate DLC. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Remake, one of my, maybe my number two game last year. Um, really good stuff. So definitely get around to playing that soon. 
Mine is Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Okay. My most anticipated game going into this year. Didn't really play a whole lot in my Switch backlog, but that's going to change in 2023. So I know a lot of people had high praise for Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Our little pink fluff went into the three three dimensional this year with this 3D platformer. So I need to get around to playing that. Definitely need to. Um, what is your prior year game of the year? A game that came out prior to 2022 that was high on your list. Uh, mine would be Sekiro. Mm. Um, if I could go back and if I had the ability to beat it in the year that it came out, I think it would have been my game of the year. Um, I, as I gushed about it earlier, I love the shit out of this game. And once you get past that kind of fucking steep learning curve, it's it's amazing. Good stuff. And mine, again, to the surprise of no one, we just talked about it for 35 minutes. Assassin's Creed Origins Very nice. is my prior year game of the year. Uh, this is a new category that we added this year because, you know, I, I have this gargantuan spreadsheet that kind of tracks really everything related to games. Yeah. Um, and I have my 2021, 2020, 2019 and 18 um, top 10 games of the year list. And as I was looking back on my 2021, I'm like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Why did I rank that game there? How did it even make make it into my top 10? And so I thought, if you have your top 10 games of the year list handy from the prior year, what is the what was I thinking thing that stands out to you the most? Um, so what was it for you when you look back at your 2020? Can I just run through it real quick? So sure. my number 10 was RuneScape. My number 9 was Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. Uh, then I had two Monster Hunters, Rise and then Stories at 8 and 7. Uh, number six was Final Fantasy Seven. Ori at number five, Ori Will of the Wisps. Dead Cells, which is a shit ton of fun. At number four, Ratchet and Clank's Rift Apart at three. Ori Blind Force at two. And then Kane of Bridge of Spirits at one. And I think we had the same game of the year last year. We did. Um, and what the hell was I thinking? I think it's Final Fantasy Seven, similar to the number four question. I'll get to it eventually. Is It was on my list as... Like I really enjoyed my experience in it, but I never really got far enough to fully be able to put it on that list or deserving enough to. Um, So it really shouldn't have been on there. I could have put something else probably, but yeah, I think that's the one I would change. Fair enough. For me, um, I'm not going to go through my entire top 10, but my number 10 was Mario Party Superstars. My number nine was Splitgate, a game I really only played for... 10 to 12 hours. It was a free to play first person shooter. Um, kind of sim- the one with like the portals. Yeah. Kind of similar to Halo and how the, the shooting mechanics work. But um, kind of the gimmick of it is that you can use these little portals to kind of um, transport yourself around the map. Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I put <laughs> I put like 80, 100 hours into that game last year. Yeah. It's what kickstarted this newfound love of the series into 2022. I don't know how. And I went back and listened to that episode towards the end of the year, and I was complaining a lot about, you know, the story not really hitting for me. Um, There are these decisions that you make that are kind of inconsequential to the events of the story later on. But I mean, come on, I put 100 hours into the game. I just don't know how it didn't make at least 10. Yeah. Um, So definitely would have... Was it an honorable mention? It may have been. I can't really remember, but it should have at least made number 10 or 9. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, And then my 2022 game of the year... Um, I know we just talked about it. Mine was God of War Ragnarok and, and yours was Elden Ring. Elden Ring. So uh, really good stuff. I can't wait to get to all the emails in the next episode. But Ryan, two hours and 37 minutes and the listeners still have 40 minutes to go with the slapping 
OST medley. I can't wait for you all to hear it. What a terrific year for games. I always love putting these lists together because it really forces you to reflect on the year that was. And I think we were spoiled this year with video games. I mean, really on all fronts, no matter what platform you play on, I think there was a lot to to celebrate. And I think even more so, we have a lot to look forward to going into 2023. I think 2023, if all of these games hit and they're as good as we're expecting or hoping them to be, it is going to shape up to be one of the most memorable year for games in quite some time. No, I think it's going to be equally as strong as this year. Yeah, it, it, There's a lot coming, especially during the early half yeah. of this year um, or next year. So, yep. So we have the community game of the year episode coming next. And then in a couple short weeks, early January, we will release our top 10 most anticipated games going into 2023, as well as some of our gaming resolutions and goals going into 2023. So stay tuned for all of that. Again, our DMs are always open. Shoot us an email, otakubrotherspodcast at gmail.com. Get in, send your seven game award nominations. We'll read them next week on the show. We can't wait. But until then, keep playing those great video games. Stay safe, stay healthy. Have a very happy new year. And Ryan and I will see you in 2023. Oh, and one final thing, please enjoy this 40-minute medley slapping OST, some of the best tunes from games that came out in 2022. Had a heck of a fun time editing this together, so get your pen, get your paper out, see if you can name each game represented in this medley. All right, thanks again, everyone, for listening. We'll see you in 2023.